Benders and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, a podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully, and it broke up a little bit, so I actually did not hear what oh. your what your hop, tama, I almost said homahawk. What your homahawk riff is? It was uh, it was Chrome Domahawk. Oh, okay. <laughs> Chrome Dome Tomahawk, because uh, because uh, of Stacy Keach's uh, hair segment. Dude, I cannot wait to talk about that because that is one of the. That is one of the best things I've ever seen on screen in my whole life. It's great. It's uh, so yeah. good. Uh, I, I'm Garrett Smith. Uh, you're Dan Scully. I can't remember if yes. we already did that. Did we already we might that? have. Who knows? It's been okay. a long week. Uh, I've already started been. drinking. Yeah, this me too. Is, uh, yeah, I just uh, I'm drinking this beer that is like it's called Party Cake. Okay. And it's it's that a cream ale, but it has like a pastry taste to it, and okay. I just cracked it. It's real fucking good. I, but it's very it, strong, so by the end of this, I'm going to be feeling kind of sloppy about it. In my brain, I don't want a beer to taste like that, but also I want things that taste like that. Yeah, I would say that it's not, because it doesn't taste like, it tastes like beer. It doesn't taste yeah. like a sweet cake. Yeah. But if you remember that cereal beer that I had by Platform. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm not the biggest sour drinker, but like that was a sour that I really liked. And I don't typically like novelty flavors, but that was a novelty flavor I really liked. And it's not locally available. And my beer distributor had it twice, and now they haven't had it. So I've been chasing that for a long <laughs> time. And when I saw this as party cake, I was like, well, it's it, you know, it's a cream ale, so it's not a sour. Right. But I was like, all right, this will scratch that itch, I would hope. Yeah. And and I, it is. It's scratching that itch well enough. So I'm, I'm a happy guy. I'm just drinking Yingling. I'm just drinking good old PA lager. Nothing wrong with that. I'll be moving to Sam Adams in a little bit. We're we're yeah. grilling on the porch tonight because tonight Ooh. is the grand finale of RuPaul's Drag Race. So oh, we got to figure out who the next uh, the next champion queen is going to be. Uh, I'm I, I like all of the final four. I'm pulling for Got Mick, um, first okay. trans okay. man per, uh, uh, to enter the uh, competition. Cool. Cool. But uh, I just. It, just a funny queen, like really good. <laughs> but um, who knows? I mean, they're all all of the top four. If they win, I will be very happy. So we're going to grill out on my porch and crank great. up the roux and have some brews and chill. As long as we're talking about it, I'll tell you what I'm doing tonight. And you will probably appreciate this. I think we're going to try and catch uh, Racer Trash, uh, who we interviewed on the show before, uh, is going to be running something that they just made called Jazz Ass. Jazz Ass, yep. Have oh, you seen yeah. this? I saw all of their lead up to it. I actually saw just now on Instagram them talking to Jeff Tremaine yeah. about what they're doing and him uh -huh. being like, yeah, good luck making it into art. Uh -huh. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I am very curious about that. Hopefully I'll catch it on a uh, on a rerun. Apparently they basically mailed a hard drive to each other. And everybody had three days with the hard drive, and as long as they had it, they could do whatever they wanted to the timeline of the movie. That's and then so it just, cool. at the end of the three days, had to move on to somebody else who then got to do whatever they wanted to the timeline of the movie. So, so. it's like telephone game style yeah. filmmaking. Dude, yeah. I'm into it. Racer Trash has not disappointed yet. Dude, um, I somehow, 
I somehow have seen their version of Clueless like four times now. Nice. And it's awesome. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It's got this vampire Wario segment in it that is just, I don't know what that is. I don't, I have no idea what that is. It just, Wario comes up on the screen. It says vampire Wario and this beat drops and it's incredible. It's like the best three minutes of movies that I've, I've seen this year, you know, a bunch of times now. I don't know if I've seen that portion because like I, I kind of just let their Twitch run sometimes. Yeah, me too. And just catch whatever's going on. Like when I'm, when I'm writing, I like to have it on in the background, especially because like they've gone beyond vaporwave and it's just like they're, and I think we're at a point where we just understand their vibe being yeah. applied. Yeah, it's their general like house vibe. Racer trash is a thing now. It's not. Yeah. It's, racer trash is not a vaporwave thing. Racer trash is a thing. It's this yeah. stuff is racer trash. Yeah. Well, I I, I hope to catch jazz, <laughs> jazz ass. <laughs> I can't say. It. I, I hope to catch jazz ass in the near future. Um, I'll I'm gonna try and catch let it run a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll catch it because I know that they tend to start pretty late and run repeatedly. So my you know, I got is, nothing to do until later tomorrow. So I can be up late. My body only ever has enough energy for like one racer trash thing. I just yeah. like I, I pass out in the middle of whatever comes next. And so like every time they've done these like nice marathon runs, literally, I end up catching Clueless and then I'm out. Like for yeah. some reason, it's <laughs> nothing just, wrong with that. Clueless is always what happens to be on when I tune in, and then I usually don't make it to the next thing. And Clueless itself is such a like tremendously good movie that <laughs> uh, you can do anything with it, and it's just like the cream's gonna rise to the top. Yeah, I um I watched the last one I sat down to watch was when they did uh, Romeo and Juliet, yeah. and I was telling Steve about it, friend of the show. Uh, host of Hot Property, um, and we, I was watching it, and he texted me, and he was just like, "Dude, this is terrible." And I wanted to say to him the thing that I always hate when people say to me, which is, "If you don't like it, it just means you don't get it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I hate that. I think that is the most bullshit criticism in the world. Yeah. I hate when people say that. I'm like, no, maybe I just don't like the movie. Yeah. But that was a situation where I was like. I think because I've watched everything up till this point, yeah. and this is your intro. I'm not going to say that your take's invalid, but I'm going to say you don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah. Get it. Yep. I know it's they. It is so. Uh, also, like, have you ever been in the chats for the like oh, yeah. their Twitch streams? Like, there's like a whole subculture. Yeah, there's a culture has, to it. Yeah, yeah, developed around this stuff. They all have like acronyms that they use in that yeah. chat that like they all know what they mean like hwg here we go they like yeah. I, like i i've a i've understood some of it but not all of it because i'm not well, always we talked around about it when stuff. we had them on the show that's yeah. where the you know watch this part they're in love thing yes. started as i came out of there <laughs> yeah. it's incredible anyway we don't have to talk more about race trash but I just, oh, man, I that's mean, probably what i'll can do can we so yeah so today we are going to be talking about a movie that we have talked about on the i'm gonna ask you about that that vhs in a minute yes um uh that we have talked about on the show before but we're devoting a full episode to now is the 1993 yes sir film body bags the john carpenter toby hooper anthology collection that uh started its life as showtime's response to hbo's tales from the crypt and then ultimately became a movie and so to tie in with this uh at the end of the show we're going to do a list where we list our favorite anthology segments uh, of you know just across the span of anthologies um 
So yeah, so uh, but as as I see right now, I watched the Shout Factory Blu-ray, which um, is beautiful. last time I watched it. It is beautiful. The sounds a little wonky, but that's just because this film has been cut apart and restored so many times uh, that that's just kind of the best the sound is. Yeah. Um, last time I watched it, it was streaming somewhere. Yeah. So too. this was my second time around, but you're holding a VHS tape. Yes, <laughs> Talk I, uh, about that, man. I mean. I have found that on Etsy, you can kind of like find old video store stock floating yeah. around, basically. And uh, so I believe this was a Blockbuster rental. Yeah, yeah it's I got a Blockbuster, Blockbuster sticker. sticker on it uh, yeah, that awesome. I that I bought for probably too much money. You know, it's like I find yeah. these sometimes for like 12 bucks or something, you know, and it's like that's probably too much money to spend on a VHS now. But I, you know, there's certain things I, I like Godzilla movies and John Carpenter movies, so I've been. If I see yeah. them and they're the right price, I grab them anyway. And they're like nice little collectible fun things, too. They are, and honestly, and... the same way that records have come back, yeah. you know, VHS sort of has that novelty to it where it it's, does. you know, it's not necessarily the most, uh, the leanest, meanest way to go about it. But there's just something classic about that. I have a I box of VHSs sitting at my parents' house that I got to dig through. I might do it this weekend. I got to um, see if I still have some at my parents. I don't know. But the one thing was, I know this is, you know, for a long time, this was one of the harder to find uh, John Carpenter movies. Yeah. So when I saw a VHS copy of it, I was like, oh, that seems like it would be a nice thing to own. Like, uh, you know, one of the uh, lesser talked about, perhaps lesser seen, although probably not now. I, I feel like probably most horror fans have seen body bags at this point, right? Like John Carpenter yeah. is such a big name. And South Factory's deep, uh, Blu-ray yeah. came out in 2013, I like think. a while ago. So yeah. like it's been around. I, can I ask what that cost you? I do think this was like maybe 12, 12 or 13 bucks. That's not it wasn't too bad. Yeah, I mean, when it, it came bad. out, it was probably 17. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, so is it in glorious really, full frame? Uh, I can't remember actually. No, I think it took up my whole TV. I think. Nice. And, and okay. So, I mean, it looks like a VHS, like yeah. the big, the big difference between watching this when I watched it, wherever it was streaming and watching it on the VHS was like, you know, one of the things I like about a Carpenter movie and actually this in particular, uh, the gas station segment, you got that nice nighttime neon light shoot that yeah. HS is like very fuzzy. It makes like mm. everything really, really fuzzy, which is actually kind of a cool look. But I love the way that looks when it's like crisp, you know, yeah, that like crisp Blu-ray picture makes that stuff look really, really good. Oh, I watched uh, the blob recently on Blu-ray. Yeah. And it has that aesthetic to it. The fog coming through the trees and yep. all that. It's nice. But when we watched the blob on film at the yes. zoom, that takes a different feel. Yes. Um, some would say, you know, superior. Yeah. And I know that the, that gas station sequence is actually quite literally entirely shot at night. There's no phone night there. Right. Yeah. So that's got to look, I'm a little jealous, not going to lie. That's got to look cool. I, on the VHS. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's all kind of hazy and fuzzy, you know? Cause like VHS just kind of like, I don't know. Things are not literally pixelated. You know what I mean? Cause it's not yeah. pixels, but like it does, everything does look kind of pixelated as we would like maybe describe it now or whatever, you know, things are just kind of fuzzy. And uh, I yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say pixelated, but they're just not sharp. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But not out of focus, just not sharp. There's like a softness to it. Yeah. Um, it almost has like, it's like someone put cheesecloth on the lens. Yeah. You know, like it has like that sort of feel to it. And it's in, in the same way that I love this kind of stuff when it looks really crisp. I would really like to see some Michael Mann movies on VHS. Like I would like to find oh, Man yeah. Hunter and Thief on VHS. 
because I, I think the I, first time I saw Manhunter was on VHS. Yeah, because I watched that in high school, and if I was renting that in high school, it would have probably been on VHS. Yeah, but I mean, I don't remember. I mean, I remember seeing it on the shelf in video stores. So it was definitely yeah, yeah. a VHS that was around. Yeah, um, but anyway. I, yeah, it was kind of fun to watch on VHS. I felt like that was the way to watch this movie since I happened to own it that way, you know, because it, it very much feels like a 1993, I caught this late at night on TV thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I recently got the DVD box set because there's no Blu-ray of it, of the entire series of Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah. Which that's, you know, I, I would say that probably my favorite genre of film, if I were to pick one, is anthology horror. Yeah. And that's probably why is because right. I grew up with Tales from the Crypt, the Crypt and yeah. even watching it now on DVD, on a Blu-ray player, on a 4K TV, there's there's a look to it that I really appreciate, but it looks different from in my memory when I used to tape it at night off of HBO and then watch it Sunday morning uh, yeah. on a tape. And like that quality, I can kind of force my brain to get there watching it, but uh, it's it's just not there anymore. And there's something delightful and, and nostalgic about that look. And so I imagine that that's similar to what you're experiencing with with, uh, you know, body bags on VHS. Yeah. Like I remember when I first saw Halloween, it was on a VHS I rented. Yeah, and same. So it was like it was kind of fun to watch this on VHS. So I was like, oh, Actually, yeah, I'll fun. tell you what, I have a Blu-ray of Halloween and it was like the most recent 4K transfer. Yeah. And I'm not going to say I don't like the way it looks like you have yeah. to work to fuck up that movie. Yeah, but yeah. it's the one like 4K transfer. Where I actually would say that there's kind of something lost. Oh, interesting. It's you know, I'm glad that I have it. It looks yeah. sharp. You know, it is 4K UHD. It's it's the highest that it can yeah, get. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, even without motion smoothing on, it sort of has that feel to it. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you might be right just growing up having watched it only on VHS for, yeah. you know, the first hundred times I saw that movie. Yeah. And so whereas I watch it and go, wow, this looks so sharp. Wow, this looks too sharp. Well, I was thinking, I mean, this is a good way maybe to get into body bags because uh, we could maybe just take it like segment by segment, although we yeah. should talk about it as like a larger context in the two. But uh, I was thinking when I was watching it, since I was watching it on this VHS, that maybe one of the things that is interesting about the gas station segment, which I love, by the way, it's probably my favorite segment in the movie. I really, really love the, the gas station segment um, is that it takes place in Haddonfield. And so it very much feels like kind of a sequel to Halloween, although oh, yeah. obviously it's not sharing really any like characters or anything. It definitely is meant to make me think of Halloween. But it feels like it's got that more crisp Dean Cundy-like cinematography that, you know, he makes his career on after Halloween. Yeah. And yeah. so it very much feels like him returning to Haddonfield to be like, this is what Halloween would have looked like if I got to make it once I, like, had honed my craft. You yeah, know? I would agree. Because it's, it's definitely, I don't know if it's my favorite segment, but it's the sharpest. Yeah. And it's probably the one that actually feels like it has the most, like, auteur style yes yeah you know the other two i don't want to say they could be directed by anybody because that third one is like very heavily a toby hooper <laughs> yes. uh, a piece and um but this yeah. one definitely like i mean anybody who's a john carpenter fan knows when you go "Ooh, a john carpenter yeah. movie yeah. Ooh, this is carpenter-esque and like yeah. this is very much carpenter-esque and like 
it, you know, because it is car. I mean, even so much as the killer sitting up in the background. Yes. I know. Um, you know, doing the Michael Myers thing. But yeah, and it is cool that it's in Haddonfield. It is cool yep. that there's a previously deceased employee of the month. That's Sam Raimi. Yes. Um, West Craven, Craven is homeless is here. In town. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this, this movie is top to bottom full of just people that I like and people that are connected to other things that I like. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, David Naughton shows up. He's yes. American werewolf. Yeah, um, fucking David Warner is the uh, yeah, uh, you know the hair specialist guy. I watched the other day a fantastic uh, anthology called Necronomicon. Okay, and I it's a Brian Yuzno one, and yeah, okay. it's uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Combs plays H.P. Yep. Lovecraft, Great. who uh, sneaks into this place to get his hands on the Book of the Dead and be inspired to write stories. Yeah. And these are the stories that he wrote. For some reason, Jeffrey Combs is wearing a ridiculous uh, uh, prosthetic chin that makes him Great. look exactly like Bruce Campbell. Um, and he's doing a Bruce Campbell. It's very weird. But in one of the segments, David Warner plays an evil doctor up to no good. Of course and it, he does. it was just it, it was a very weird thing. I'm like another cheapy horror anthology by a beloved filmmaker with David way, Warner as a do- doctor you can't trust. Also the character he plays in Teenage Ninja Turtles yeah. 2, Secret of the Youth. Bobo Baxter Stockman, yeah. True. Uh yeah. Anyway, yeah, this movie is just like the whole thing is top to bottom, like interesting people that I love. But yes, I love like Craven and Raimi showing up in this segment. I love that Raimi is just a dead guy. In, yeah, uh, a dead guy in a picture. Yeah. The thing is about that is uh, I was reading that the Wes Craven footage was actually not in the movie for a while. Oh. Because uh, this movie had so many iterations where it was cut apart for TV, yeah. put together yeah. as a movie. And just like, you know, as you said, it was hard to find for a while. So like different editions were just kind of slapped together. And yeah. for a long time, I believe uh, up until, you know, the more recent releases, the Craven thing was was not always there. That's because that footage had just yeah. kind of fallen out. And and by the way, it's like, yeah, that uh, kind of makes sense to me, I guess. Like, if you're trying, if if for some reason you need to edit this movie, you don't need that little scene of him. Yeah, uh, it only you know, exists although, for the cameo. Yes. Uh, well, what, what it does, I, I do like it functionally as like that segment plays as a sort of list of could this be the killer? Could this be the killer? Could this yeah, be yeah, the killer? Yeah, certainly. You know, uh, but you don't need him necessarily. Yeah, yeah. The, um, but yeah, I. One of the things that I think seems to be everybody's response to this movie is that we wish there could have been a world with more of John Carpenter as a horror host, a yes, lot of Crypt Keeper yes, or Rod yes. Serling. And uh, it's a shame because learning about this movie, that almost was the case. I know. And man, he, you know, he's he's the right level of dry and bad at comic timing that it yes. becomes not dry and good at comic timing by accident. I mean, he's a terminal dad. And uh, it, but you know, watching Tales from the Crypt again, his rotten, just shitty puns are so bad, boils and ghouls. But like, that's kind of key. And so, yeah, I, 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 I do lament that we didn't live in the alternate reality where Showtime had John Carpenter as the undead horror host who loves drinking formaldehyde and has a thing for tits. It's, (laughs) it's wild stuff totally agree like i both times i've watched this that's all i can think about really is just like all this makes me think about is like like honestly showtime what the fuck are you doing are you i know you have a streaming platform no one knows about it no one's watching it give 
John Carpenter, however many Sonic the Hedgehog movies he requests to right. direct, like whatever he needs, give it to him. This is your him, Snyder cut. Get him to just get him to come back and host one of these things. He doesn't even need to make anything. He just needs to be the host. Like I bet he would though. He seems to be the kind of guy that if they were like, "Listen, we'll give you the money." Right. Yeah. He would do it. And like I I just think like he's so good at this and the thing that he's good at actually is that he is such a, a dad that the writing can be as bad as you want and he's just going to throw it away. Like every yeah. time he does one of these bad jokes, he literally like cha-chas off screen into like the next like segment, you know, like it's, it's perfect. Like he's so good at this. He has, and I, I, I have to, to not insult him. Cause I mean, this as a compliment because like I said, it does become a feature, not a bug. Yeah. His comic timing and the way that he really, he reads lines for a punchline is yeah. terrible. It's God awful. <laughs> he has no sense of set up punchline at all. He yeah. like motors through the script. Yeah, but it works. Yeah, like it's like if he actually had comic timing, I'd be like, he's trying too hard. Yeah, but him just like going through it like an excited dad, I'm like, yeah, right. this is how John Carpenter, the the corpse, would do yes. this. Like it's yes. it's the strangest set of choices, but I cannot think of a way that I would change it to improve it because anything that 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 with a comic mind like I tend to have that I would apply to improve it would just weaken it. It's it's the weirdest thing. I don't know why that is. The idea that he's like aggravated that most of the corpses died of natural causes yeah. is like very funny. I really, I just, I don't know. There's something about him performing this stuff that I, I really like. I just want to know how do all, like do all dead people suddenly have knowledge of how all other dead people died? Yeah, I don't know. You know, like, is that a thing? It, because he, I mean, you know, this is not a question that you tend to want to ask. But I was thinking about it. I was like, he does seem to know all these bodies, but as far as I can tell, he had nothing to do with any of their deaths. He even I was kind of paying attention to like the first. I don't remember if he does this with the other two, but the first story, he starts it by going like, you know, he like opens the chart. That's how he sees like the cause. Yeah, of yeah. Death. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. But then it's like, how does he know the whole story, right? Because like ostensibly, he's telling us these stories, I guess, to some extent, right? Yeah. But, like, the first one, he starts it by saying, like, this this body was found on the side of the road late at night one night. But, like, that's not how that segment ends. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. I, I, like, I don't even know what body we're supposed to think we're looking at from that segment, you know? Yeah. Like, I guess it's the body of the killer, right? I guess. Yeah. Sure. Because I know, like, the second one... Um, you know, he we we learn through him beforehand yeah. that Stacy Keach has thrown himself out of a window and got run over by was it a train or a truck or something? Something like that, yeah. But yeah. that ends with him just lost and yeah. stuck in his world of 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 ego and and hairs growing out of his throat, which ugh. um yeah. yeah, it's it's the strangest thing, but I kinda like that about it. Yeah, me too. It like it doesn't really need to make any sense, so I'm, like, very okay with all of that. But I, I just oh, think yeah. it's, like, a funny, to your point, it's, like, it is kind of a funny detail about it where it's, like, I don't really know, like, what I'm supposed to think about this, really, you know? Yeah, and I think, honestly, that's, like, another another example. Like, if if the goal of each scene was to get to the, like, if they presented the body and we saw all yeah. of its wounds or who it was, yeah. and then the goal of each scene was to get to that, it, like I don't know, it just wouldn't play. It would be too yeah. tight. 
Yeah. It, it wouldn't be as fun because yeah, no. it would feel more like a gimmick. Whereas this doesn't feel like a gimmick so much as just like a freewheeling framing device. It and I feels, like that so much better. It feels like I'm watching a, a you know, late night horror host. Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't feel like I'm watching an anthology movie as much as it feels like I'm watching a Svengoolie thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and, and I like that. I think that it, that does work for it. And, and it makes sense that this was pitched as like a series and, and this was not made as a movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because it has that format. I think movies, when we talk about like anthology movies, they tend to have a wraparound that doesn't feel like this. You know, it's like this feels yeah. like something out of out of television, out of a series. This feels like radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that that's that could fact. also even be like there's probably a very real chance that what we see of him hosting isn't even actually set up to correspond with each story. Right. They could have just shot a whole bunch of just him doing intro and outro copy and then just picked the three stories that were already made and the funniest, you know, intros and outros to sort of have an, you know, an overarching narrative of this body sneaking out to tell us some stories before the Dr. Tom Arnold and Toby Hooper get back. It's, I mean, and, um, I you know, find, so it could just be assembled. And I couldn't find a ton of information about that, but I, the little bit I found, what you're describing kind of sounds like what I gathered from what I was reading. Yeah. That they, these, these were just what they had completed by the time Showtime pulled the plug and they just kind of decided to put it together as a movie. It works. It's coherent, yeah. you know, like, yeah. and, and even though like we're, we're essentially saying that it's not because it is coherent, but it's not necessarily, you know, tight to the point of plot connection. But, yeah. like, I don't, I don't really want that. Well, I actually, frankly, I mean, you know... Uh, it works well enough, plot-wise, for sure. Obviously, there are many different ways that people make these anthologies, you know, from very connected to not very connected. But, in my opinion, of all the horror anthologies that I've seen, this one probably is my favorite. I actually mm. think three segments is, like, probably the right amount of segments. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are weak. You know what I mean? Because there's yeah. only three, it doesn't have the problem of like, yeah, I like 75% of this movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, I, I forget who said, I think it was Guillermo del Toro was talking. I forget what movie he was talking about that he was going to do as an anthology yeah. and then didn't that he was like a producer on. And his reasoning was when you do an anthology, uh, if you stand back and look at the whole package nothing's as good as the best one and nothing's as bad as the worst one, but those two always end up defining it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And like three is the perfect amount. I think it was scary stories, right? He, he yes. uh, produced that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They wanted to do that anthology. And then it was like, why? Like we can just make these scenes. And that movie's like, as far as like teen horror goes, yeah. that rips pretty hard. There's one yeah. image from that that sticks with me. That kind of makes me grumbly in my tumbly. I liked that movie. I, I bet I know what you're talking about because I, I liked it too. And there was, yes, there was yeah. a very particular moment that I was like, oh, God. Uh. Yeah, it makes me feel gross. But yeah, I, whatever sequel comes out of that, I am hook, line, and sinker for it. But no, yeah. that that's exactly the movie. And he's right. Like, I would yeah. say that my favorite horror anthology is VHS just because it yeah. also invokes found footage, which is a subgenre yep. that I really have a fondness for. Yeah. But like, I, I like that movie. I think that there's no bad segment. But there is a notable worst segment, and there yeah. is a notable best segment. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I don't think that I could really 
I could personally rank the segments in body bags, and I'm sure we will while we do this. Yeah, but yeah. there's really there's none that I feel like I'm waiting for the next one through, or there's none that once it over, once it's over, I feel like all right, well it's the rest of the movie now. Like yeah, yeah. I, I real my enjoyment level is static throughout the whole thing. I'm with you. And I even think uh, as far as organizing, you know, like if you think about an anthology as a whatever triple feature in this case, it would be a triple feature. Right. But however many movies it is, you always want to try and like organize those in the right way. You know, you want the segments to come in, quote unquote, the right order. Yeah. You got to hook them. You got to keep them. You got to send them home popping. Yeah. And I feel like this movie also nails that. Like, I I feel like it's got a really strong opening. The second one is very silly in a way that is like perfect to be the middle chapter of like something that is ostensibly supposed to be a fun but scary time. And the ending is like the kind of like pretty gruesome like terror spree that of course only like Toby Hooper could make, uh, you know, that you would want to. I think it's like it does all the things that a, a horror anthology can do like well, you know, and I feel like there are very few horror anthologies that do all of it well, you know, yeah, I would agree. And this is, I mean, be, behind VHS, this is probably a very close second for me. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, if you were saying, which one do you want to watch right now? Seven times out of 10, I'm going to pick body bags just because it's so fucking enjoyable. It is it's so enjoyable. It's like it is. the easiest movie to consume. Um, yeah, I, I, I put it on, like, I wasn't even planning on watching it the night that I watched it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. you know what? I got to watch it before Friday. Let's do it. And within minutes, I was just sitting there like cheesing because it's yeah. just so purely enjoyable. It's, it's, it's why I go to movies. Carpenter pulls you in pretty immediately. I think he's like so fun as that host character that I, that, mm-hmm. that just like sucks me in. And then it's like that first segment rips. It's like, it is just so well paced and like great building of details and then knocking all the dominoes down. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, especially like the Robert Carradine performance is oh, yeah. in full view of it. Like this is the second time I'm seeing the movie. So like, I know that he's going to be revealed to be, you know, the guy at the end. Uh, but like, once you know that it's like his performance initially is so funny. Cause she's like asking him all these questions about the job and he's kind of going like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Just, uh, yeah, you could just, no, you don't got to count out the the drawer. The guy in the morning will do that. He's just yeah, making yeah. shit up. Like he's not. You know what I mean? Like he just. And it sounds that like guy. he's, he's saying like it sounds like he's saying like, oh, you're new. Don't stress about yeah. that. When really he's saying like, you won't be alive tomorrow. Stop. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, and, and also, he doesn't know. He literally yeah. doesn't know. He's not actually the guy that worked that job. He killed the yeah. guy that worked that job. He doesn't know. Like he's just. Oh, like, yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> like, yeah. So he's, he's just, just like, dude. He's literally just making up answers. He's going like, ah, yeah, no, you, you don't got to close out the drawer. Don't worry about that. The other guy will take care of that. Like, he's just well, like, let's get into it. Let's, let's go segment by segment. Let's talk about this. Because one thing that I like about this that I think is such a classic thing, it's ripped right out of EC Comics, right out of Tales from the Crypt, is I love the news report as exposition. Yes. Um, that is, the, the, in a long movie, that's cheap and stupid. But <laughs> yeah. in an anthology, it's perfect it's yes. a great way to get everything you need out killer on the run everybody look out there's bodies piling up yep. and it's a way that that like is real enough to the real world but has that sort of you know radio feel where it's just like we got to get this information across in a way that 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 suits the material yeah. i love a good radio news broadcast as a background cheating way to get to get your exposition out of the way 
it works so well. And then they even have like, um, you know, other characters that kind of like come in and out of the story to sort of like carry those details through. Right. Like she, I think she says to Robert Carradine, like, oh, there's you got to be careful tonight or something. Right. Like they, they yeah, kind yeah. of like they make sure they repeat the details like just a couple of times so that it's all like, you know, it, yeah, it, it, they just set everything up very well in this story. It's like a really tight... And that captures another feeling that I like. And this is going to sound tasteless, but I'll try and say it the way that... When tragedy happens, there's an excitement in the air that while the world would be better without it, is a compelling feeling. Mm. Um, you know, like... like not I, Man, I hate to do it this way, but like... You know... 9-11 and all the tragedy that it was, one of the things that I remember about it was the buzz that was in the air because we had so many questions. There was danger in the air. There's that kind of a thing. And there's a weird, like, bond between humans when that feeling's in the air I know you that mean. I find compelling and warm, even though it's rooted in tragedy and terror. And I think that that is something that... That's something that I think appears in Halloween 2, yeah, uh, quite a bit, but that's also something that, as a result of the radio broadcast and as a result of like what you're saying of hey, be careful out there and all that, it adds this weird warmth of humanity to that buzz. Uh, you know, yeah. like even when there's when there's a storm and everybody's just trapped inside, but we're all connected in a way and just saying like yeah, let's just you know let's tell some stories because we're trapped inside. That cozy feeling of connectivity in a world of chaos is something that I just I I cop to pretty quickly and. Yeah. It's very thick here, even though we're only in this world for what, 15 minutes, half hour? Right, half hour, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you get the uh, I, I feel like you're you're mostly leading to the I guess this guy's name is Peter Jason, the character of the like there's like that guy that pulls up with like yes. the, the woman and then like he's Which kinda... according to IMDB trivia, that's his real car. Okay, great. The actor brought his car to it. This is this is balling on a budget here. And he's like, you know, it's clearly he's been out drinking with this woman. I believe she's credited in the credits as like divorcee. So I think yeah. the idea is like we're meant to think that he kind of just met and picked up this woman like at a bar, you know, mm. but then is like kind of flirting with uh, and this. I really like this actress and I looked her up. She's not done like a ton of other stuff. Uh, Alex Datcher is who plays the uh, like kind of the new the new girl, you know, who's like the main character of the uh, the segment. Which she is from something notable. It was. um. Let me pull her up. Passenger 57. Passenger 57. That's the thing that I would know her from. Always and been on black. She's apparently in Star Trek. Like, she's definitely in some other stuff. Um, but uh, I thought, like, I recognized her, and I didn't have, like, too much other familiarity with her. But anyway, he's, like, flirting with her a little bit, which is kind of funny. But then when she's like, hey, could you, like, go check on this guy in the bathroom for me? He's like, yeah, like, I'll sure. You know, like, he... Yeah, let's he, take care in, of each other. In a very human way, he's kind of like, yeah, yeah, there's, like, weird shit going on tonight. Like, I'll go check that out, you know? Mm -hmm. He's going to go check on George Buckflower, right. a man who is famous for playing, uh, you know, folks experiencing scarcity, we'll say. Uh -huh. <laughs> he's always that guy. Yep. Oh, in, in multiple other John Carpenter movies, and I believe in some David Lynch movies as well. Yep. Yes, indeed. Yep. And I, I think even, uh, what's it, uh, I want to see he's in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, maybe? I believe he is. I'll pull him up. Yes, uh, George Buckflower. Yeah, he's in They Live. He's in Starman, Village of the yeah. Damned. Oh, yeah, he's in uh, Back to the Future. Oh, yes, he's the homeless guy, yeah. He's the. <laughs> he's just got that look. He's good at yep. it. Um, wait, what else? 
I swear he's in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Um, let me get down to 1985 or 84 when that was. Oh, yeah, he's in The Fog. He's yeah. Tommy Wallace. Um, I was wrong. He's not in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Oh, what are you going to do? But he's, it was <laughs> it's some, funny, too. Maniac other... Cop. He plays Old Man. Sorority Babes. He plays Janitor. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's uh, In Berserker, he plays Pappy Nyquist. In Bates Motel, he plays Vagrant. In The Night Stalker, he plays Tramp. In Back to the Future, he plays Bum. Uh-huh. In The Click, he plays Guy Giving... Dot, 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 I don't know. In Starman, he's the cook. Yep. <laughs> it's great. Love me some Buckflower. I like that the only actual named character was named, like, Pappy something. Everybody yes. else was just, like, named for their function. Well, he's got, like, certain names, but they're all that kind of, Like, Ed Lamey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bundy, Willard, Pop. <laughs> Mr. Wallace, security guard. Oh, Pop again. Drifter, Ed Simpson, Bailey. Oh, in One Man Force, he plays Drunk. (laughs) But yeah, I think there is that sort of like, there's a weird just like collective care. Uh, With Peter Jason's character, it's almost him flexing how cool of a man he is for Divorcee. Because it's just like, yeah, I'll check it out for you. Um, I'm a tough guy. And by the way, Divorcee is played by Molly Cheek. And I don't know if you recognized her, but I did. So I looked her up. She's... uh, uh, Jim's mom in the American Pie series. Oh, no way. Yep. Okay. Uh, she's also, uh, I think, Justin Long's mom in Drag Me to Hell, uh, she, who's like the kind of like rude mother in law character. Yeah, to, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So she's Look like, she's kind of that. an interesting actress. Um, yeah, I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah, and it's she like, is connected to Sam Raimi because in Spider Man 2, she plays Society Woman. Yeah, see, there you go. It's like literally everybody in all three of these segments are like interesting people or connected to other interesting people that I am interested in. You know, it's like I really it's just kind of fun watching this movie where every single time somebody pops up on screen, I'm like, ah, look at you. you know? Yeah, that's somebody. Yeah. I, when uh, when David Naughton showed up, um, it, I, I did a uh, I did a double take because I couldn't decide whether he was American werewolf in, in a, a London guy, yes. which is who he was. Or if he was, oh, wait, who did I think he was for a second? I forget, I'll think of it, but it was another, that kind of thing where I'm like, oh, that's, uh, what's his name? But, yeah. oh, no, you know I thought it was? I thought it was Adam Arkin, who went on to be Laurie's love interest in Halloween H2O. Okay. Um, but I was I was incorrect about that, and then yeah. I realized it was American Werewolf. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's fun in this role. Like, I like that he kind of, you know, you... You sort of maybe get a little suspicious of him, and then, you know, he gets to kind of, like, come back in the end for, like, a little kind of hero moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I like him a lot. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, I think American Werewolf in London is probably my favorite werewolf movie. Yeah. And it's a really good performance that he gives that's, like, hapless drama to the point of comedy. Yeah, Which yeah. is a strange vibe to walk. But, like, being nervous about the ghost of slaughtered uh what's his name kind of following him around um yeah why can't i think of his name uh what's that other movie he's in called (laughs) that's not gonna help me with his name either yeah it's one of those things those things i just watched that other movie that he was in griffin dunn yeah griffin dunn yes yeah after hours after hours which is my favorite scorsese movie yeah griffin dunn whose sister Dominique Dunn was the sister in um, 
He's actually got a crazy story because this she played the daughter in Poltergeist, the older daughter. Oh. And she was about to really explode in the Hollywood scene and was murdered. And then her father is a huge victims advocate lawyer as a result of that. Mm. And um, really fascinating story. Mm. Um, really a shame, too, because she seemed to be a wonderful actress. But yeah, the Duns have a, a wild story. And uh, yeah, and, and it's it, I can't think of his first name, but the lawyer Dunn has done some incredible work for victim advocacy in terms of court procedures and murders and such. Whoa. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, he's uh, as a big true crime fan, he tends to pop in and out uh, pretty pretty regularly. Interesting. Yeah, cool dude. Yeah, I uh, but yeah, I I just I don't know. I think this segment is fucking like all killer. Like the whole thing just rocks. Like even like there's that one great shot where Carpenter kind of like he gives you like a really wide shot of the gas station and like a silhouette of somebody standing kind of like right in the middle. It's yeah, like, it's great. I think that it's. Uh, the problem with a lot of slashers is that for the most part, we know why we're there. You know, like if you watch, you know, having gone through all of the Jason movies last year, once again, you know, for the 10th time, one of the things that, that those movies do well is they're pretty aware of the fact that we're there for the goods. Um, we're not necessarily there for the story. And unfortunately, when you have to fill 85 to hundred minutes you need to put story in there and story and slasher like it can be done and it has been done but yeah it's who wants to do the effort putting a slasher into anthology format is kind of perfect yeah because it's just enough to establish your heroes establish your victims and establish your villain and get it all done bing bang boom in slasher aesthetic you know in and out real quick and this also does the thing of setting, right? Like setting is so important to this yeah. one and, and kind of uses its setting as a set piece, basically, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it sets up all these like cool kind of fun, uh, almost like kill contraptions, you know? And in like a full length slasher, really the plot ends up just being how to get to the next set piece. Yes. And so I kind of, I like the idea that this is like, you know, Carpenter really loves siege movies. And so he mm-hmm. kind of like, it's almost like he takes us the slasher format and goes, what if, what is a slasher sequence? If not like a, a miniature siege, you know, and, yeah. and just kind oh, yeah. of like handles it that way. I it's mean, fun. Laurie it's really in the cool. closet with Myers outside. Yeah. That's a yeah. mini siege moment in a, yeah. in a movie. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fun. It's cool. I, I and you I get do. that awesome uh, crush with the car coming down it's and so then the good. pools yeah. of just goopy blood go flying out. Really Marron. Really, really Man, good. Yes. That is how it's done. Really dig it. Yeah. I lo- And I love the moment when she thinks she's about to drive away and he just lifts the car off the ground. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So, so good. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And yeah, that's a great hero moment for what's yeah. his name again. Um, I also would like to point out this moment is one of my more favorite Carpenter scores. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's not necessarily the most... Uh, I would actually say it probably felt most, and I don't even think Carpenter did this score, but it, it reminded me of like the tones of Starman. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's not the most aggressive in terms of like, I can't really place a hook, right. but it really evokes the feeling well. 
Um, and that's something that I think with like the fuzzy image that you're talking about on VHS, this score yeah. probably matches that impeccably. Oh, so good. Yeah. The score is great throughout this movie and it's, it's him and somebody else is credited on this too. Hold on. I have the VHS right here. I can tell you. Yeah. Um, What's in the box? Uh, music by John Carpenter and Jim Lang. Jim Lang. Okay. Is Jim, yeah. you know what? I'm going to pull up Jim Lang just to see if he's done anything else yeah. that we can point out. Oh my God. He did the music for Hey Arnold. Whoa. But he's also credited for In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, wow. Okay, so he's worked with Carpenter before. Yeah. Yeah. He did and that Ransom. makes sense, actually. Because uh, the In the Mouth of Madness score has a similar vibe to this score, where it's a mix yeah. of like electric guitars and synthesizers. Yeah. It's kind of like a bridge between what we know John Carpenter for and yeah. what he puts out in his albums now. Yes. Yep. Like, if there was one thing about that new uh, Halloween score that he did for the sequel boot, yeah. is there's like fucking shredding in that. Oh yeah, like, I know. It's some awesome. Serious shredding that rips, yeah. and like that's not in the score classically. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you want to talk about the hair segment now? I really I like do. this one. I, I think this, this is probably my favorite one, yeah. and I have to credit. One is it has a really clever sense of humor. Yes, but it does. Stacy Keach is fucking unhinged in this. Yeah, he is, man. And it also features two pop singers. His yes. girlfriend is Sheena Easton. Yep. And the uh, nurse in is David Debbie Warner's Harry. office is royalty and goddess who walks amongst us mere humans, Debbie Harry. Dude, I know. And Debbie Harry's like awesome in this. She's, she's like so this. good. She's like this, like, you know, sex tart nurse that's really kind of like meant to sort of sell somebody she's the on this procedure. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah, she's the honeypot. Like, you know, she's there because like even, I, probably the I would say it's the second funniest part when they're going through the specialized computer that yeah. shows the different hairstyles he can have. Yes. And each one that they go through, she's just like, oh, no, not that one. He's like, you're right. No. Yeah. And then she's like, this one, though, he's like, it's perfect. Yeah. And like, she's just there to be. You know, she's the model on the car that exactly. silently suggests that ladies will fuck you if you buy this car. <laughs> um, she's that lady. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, this is so this is Stacy Keach as a man who's not dealing well with hair loss. Yes. And is trying every which way. Um, and one of the, <laughs> the, the best gag, yeah. I must have run this back 10 times just because this is a masterful piece of editing as a punchline where yeah. I'm going to eat my words about John Carpenter not understanding the timing of a joke because in terms of editing, he does. Yeah. And it's when Stacy Keach, distraught at hair loss, is living in a world where everyone has great hair yeah. and he sees somebody with great hair walking their dog and yeah. then it cuts to the dog and the dog also has long, luxurious very well kept hair. It's so it's like jaw on the floor, hilarious this moment. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, and so but it, it all is hinged upon Keech's reactions, and he is cranked to a hundred. It's so funny. So By the way, one of the long-haired dudes in that segment, Greg Nicotero, the oh, guy that nice. does all the zombie effects for uh, you know, um uh, uh, uh Walking Dead, but is now also yeah. like the creep Kill show Bill. uh showrunner. Yeah, yeah, yep. The, I think I think Nicotero did the effects for this. He might have. I mean, I think I mean, it's like literally in him it, and so. Botten, I want to say. Maybe. Um, you may be correct. Yeah, uh, Kurtzman, Nicotero, uh, Howard Berger. Yep. Uh, uh, Howard Jensen, Todd Jensen. So, yeah, it, it is KNB, essentially. Yeah. So it's like, um, it's very funny that 
even even the you know montage of guys with long hair is like still yet more like weird horror nerd adjacent cameos you oh know? and what's funny is it works now as a cameo yeah but, but at the time then, it probably yeah. worked as well you're here today yeah you've got hair can you can you be yeah. that guy yeah but yeah I, this this is like this one uh I, it's weird to say that it resonated because I find that as I get older, I'm having more hair. Like I have a proceeding hairline. Uh-huh. I have more hair coming down on my forehead, uh, whereas a lot of people I know are, are losing their hair. And so I'm I'm one of the lucky few in that it does not look like baldness will be an issue for me uh, until I'm way too old to care. Yeah. And um, but I do understand the idea of looking in the mirror and sensing that your virility is going. Yeah. And there's two ways to look at it. One is as a tragedy and one is as a comedy. And this is a tragedy on Stacey Keach's face. Yeah. And it's a comedy for the rest of us. Yeah. And that is, I, I don't know, I, I just found that so, so fucking entertaining to watch. But also, like, I really felt for him. I, I care. You and credit to the script that his girlfriend, Sheena Easton, really, truly does not care. She loves him for who he is so much. It's the best thing about this. The best thing about this segment. She loves him. He, I love that he's not, I I think these are really smart script choices. He's not a married man. He's like a middle-aged man that is dating. He's like, he's still trying to, you know, I, I get the impression that like, you know, he may be, spent too many years being like a kind of bachelor box kind of, you know, and, and now that has all caught up with him. And so he's really making a go of it with this steady girlfriend that he has who really like smart and nice and sexy and And fun and just loves loves him. him. She supports him. And he cares so much about this and she truly does not and the only reason she cares is because he cares so you know yeah. what i mean it's like he's <laughs> it's making lovely. it worse by caring as much as he does that's like the comedy of it is that it's such a tragedy for him only you know yeah. like it doesn't have but to be but he makes it one when he does have the hair yeah. he does have a physical yes. primal response to it yes. and like that's a really fun writing choice too that it's like you know it, it, even though it was not necessary for him to do it, his choice is at least initially validated. Yeah. Um, in terms of you know being a being a hunk and being sure. virile. But you could also uh, argue that like what she's ultimately responding to is the confidence that he now carries himself yes. with. You know. And I would agree. I think that yeah. she. I think that that's mostly what she was responding to. Yeah. Although I think the best reaction to his hair is my favorite character in the whole thing is the hairdresser. Yes. Um, who's this like you know jacked beefcake who has long yeah. luxurious hair i love his who, hair when he has finally has the we'll call him implants it's just yeah. like this is unbelievable i'll give it <laughs> shape i'll do whatever and like everybody come look this yeah. is insane so yeah so i, I oh, love ahead, that i love that scene when that hairdresser is trying to convince him to let him just like style the hair that he has yeah i think that is so fun it's like everybody is trying so hard to like very kindly be like you're fine. Like you're a handsome man. Like we, if you just like let somebody like work with this, you can work with this. Like this is, I, there's something so funny and charming about those scenes where his girlfriend, the hairdresser, like everybody's trying to like 
be supportive in good, yeah. positive ways. That's true. Like, the world is not one that judges him by his right. hair at all. Yes. At all. Ex- except that when he, t- it's he, he is the problem, right? Even when he turns TV on, every channel he turns to is about grass growing, is about, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> but that's him, right? That's his problem, is that yeah. that's what he sees when he turns the channel, you know? It's like, yeah, it's so good. I wrote down a line from this that is it made me laugh so hard because of his his uh his delivery of it. Um, he's looking in the mirror and he's all you know over edge because he's losing his hair, and um, his girlfriend is like, "Hey, you know, like, what are you doing? You like yeah. this doesn't matter." And he says, "Are you telling me you don't like hair? Then how can you stand looking at me?" Yeah, <laughs> such a good line. Are you telling me you don't like hair? He's like literally the most <laughs> so twisted. He's the most like pathetic version of uh, you know like a, a middle age crisis, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh man, so funny. I just that concept of it doesn't matter to me. Oh, then you're telling me you yeah. don't like hair? <laughs> like, don't get it twisted, bro. That is so. But but at the same time, like I get it. Like people really do get caught up in image. I do myself sometimes. Sure, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no. so hard not to. I mean, it's very relatable. What's funny is in the real world, image does carry more weight than it should. Um, we're just kinder to prettier people, um, so that makes it even more effective that the world he lives in is one that very clearly does not. Well, and then uh, it, the what I the thing that is so funny about the segment to me ultimately, like. This was the one actually I remembered least. And mm-hmm. then watching it this time, I, I'm kind of with you. I almost enjoyed it the most, you know? It's so well done. And part of what I liked about it is that by the end, because I, I think what I remember maybe not liking about it the first time around was like, this doesn't even feel like a horror segment. Like, what is this even doing here, you know? And watching it again this time, it's like, well, it does build to this kind of like alien invasion thing. Mm-hmm. Which, in a weird way, feels like it could be a prequel to, like, They Live. Like, the way yeah. in which they describe how they're going to take over, which is literally through people's sort of, like, dumb, self-serving interest. It, yeah. like, will allow them to literally implant themselves in people's brains, because people will be so... Yeah, we're inter- hung up on such unimportant shit yes. that they can sneak yeah. in where it counts. Yeah, yeah. I, which- and I think, too, it really captures a good body horror element. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. The hair growing out of his throat makes yes. me so uncomfortable. Gross. That's yep. like real uncomfortable. I agree. Um, when he wakes up and he's got boils all over his face and he's got yep. werewolf face going, that's pretty effective. And even though the little zoom in animations of the living worm like hairs are, uh, are chintzy looking, I would say that they're perfect. Yeah, I like uh, them. They're so much fun. And it, yeah, it's just, I think there's a little bit of him in all of us. Yeah. And the world he lives in is the the person we all wish we were. Yeah. And and to see that taken advantage of is horror. Is yeah, horrifying. Yeah. 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 Uh, but man, it's funny. It's so <laughs> that, funny. That's a grand comic performance. Yeah. Him as that guy and Sheena Easton as his foil is just like a duo that works perfectly. That formula just gives. And Carpenter definitely, I think, always has a little bit of a sense of humor in his oh, stuff. Oh, certainly. But I definitely, I really like when he's wearing it on his sleeve. That doesn't always work, but when it does, it's really fun. And I, I mean, is... to compare it to They Live, They Live yeah. is probably his like outwardly funniest movie of yeah. 
Like, there's a lot of humor in that. And I think, it, you know, Rowdy Roddy Piper seems to have a good sense of humor, as does Keith David. Yeah. And uh, But, yeah, in that movie, there's a lot of just outward humor, and it works. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I just think this segment is, like, a, a just a fun example of his, like, sense of humor. You know, it's, yeah. And I think you're right, too, about the pace. Like, yeah. once once we're, we're the, you know, we're on the ground running, this is a great just, like, we're moving, so it, it's in and out real quick and just kind of allows you to, uh, it allows you to vibe with it because there's very little by way of having to set it up. Yeah. You know, because I mean, it's so relatable. Each of these is about 30 minutes, but I do think this one's the shortest of them, and that makes mm. sense to me. It's like, it's just a little bit breezier than the other ones, and it's the middle chapter that's a little more fun, a little funny, a little clever. Breeze you through it into the final kind of more like terror segment yeah yeah they're like kind of the linchpins on the outside yeah and like that is like where a typical movie would be the meat of the movie where we're getting to like the the tentpole moments um but being an anthology you know there's not really tentpole moments but you need to still have that forward thrust energy and this this definitely has that it's a very welcoming story that's outwardly enjoyable and i and i think because it's not trying to jolt you or make you shriek or or, you know outright shock you it ends up being to me the one that actually in terms of like a guttural response probably shocks me most. Yeah. I, uh, to me, the most effective one is the first one, mostly because I can, I just imagine flipping through the channels and finding that gas station segment and it being really scary in that moment at like 1130 PM. And I've just happened to flip onto this in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first one is meant to be, you know, because it's horror, it is meant to to really get that that uh like on-brand reaction. It's meant yeah. to to be a certain way. This one feels to me most of a piece with something like Tales from the Crypt because it is a yeah. morality play. Yeah. It yeah. is it's less of the function of the plot and more of the morals of what this guy's going through and the lesson that he like the alien thing is just a piece of plot. Yeah. That's yes. not really what's happening. Yes. What we're there for is to watch this guy regretting that he didn't realize how good he had it when he did, yeah. you know, like that is very in tune with EC comics. It's very in tune with twilight zone. It's very in tune with what I think of when I think of anthology horror, whereas like that opening one is slasher in 30 minutes and that's why it just fucking rocks that closing one is we're trying to do a shrieky you know possession horror movie which i mean it's one of like five different implanted eye horror segments Uh in anthology movies one that uh adam wingard did for vhs2 and uh so yes like this one actually just feels the most like a twilight zone episode and i think that's why it it fits best in the middle yeah. Is it's it's not really trying to push buttons so much as it actually has kind of a story. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, the uh, other two you... are more concerned with plot. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the Toby Hooper uh, eye segment? I do, because I think it might be my favorite Mark Hamill performance that I've seen him do. Dude, isn't he great in it? He's really good. And he's like, like really good. He's a lovable he... guy and he's yeah. a buck. It's, yeah. it's done very well. And he's like, you know. Because we know him, you know, in full view of his career, where it's like he actually is a very uh, uh, flexible kind of actor, you know, like there's a lot, of, especially in his voice acting. I think there's like mm. a lot that he can do. And so it's like it's interesting seeing him a little younger and seeming to sort of start 
learning to flex, right? Like this feels oh, yeah. like this, this to me feels like it must've been kind of a revelation. I mean, maybe I, I don't know for sure, but it feels like in 1993, see Mark Hamill be like a psycho might've been like, what the, what the fuck? This is wild. Oh yeah. You know? Well, cause he's, his career suffered from the fact that he played the most iconic film character of all time. You know, like yeah, he, yeah, he yeah, really yeah. just like, there's just no separating him from Luke Skywalker. Yeah. But, you know, as as we learn in The Last Jedi, we go, man, that's actually a real character. It's not just an image. Like, he yep. really did some work here. But, yeah, I think he's a tremendous actor. And also, there's the real-life parallel to the accident that he suffered yeah. after. Uh, that's why they had to put the Wampa yeah. fight in the beginning of to explain him having a more scarred face. Yep. And so I think that just the, the, the fact that he's talented, the fact that he could tie it into a real-world event... And the fact that he's bucking expectation, I think, really allows him to dig deep in a way that many movies would not permit him to do just because yeah. of image. And he's like, by the way, the like a thing that's very funny about this segment to me is that like he seems to be doing this like vaguely Texan accent. Yeah. Where uh, his partner is played by Twiggy. Twiggy. Classic uh, model. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a British uh, model. So like he's got this like wife with a British voice who seems to maybe be trying to get rid of some of her British accent and sound a little more American. It's like, it's just like two actors having funny, like vaguely off accents uh, with each other. Yeah, I, it yeah. just made me laugh. You know, though, I think that that works because, you know, I, I think we're supposed to get the sense that like, cause he, at the beginning, like it's, it's very clear. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good dude. Even when everyone's like, Hey man, you're going to the majors this year. He's, he's like, ah, you know, I've been close before, but hey, I'm going to do my best. There's that line where the another player on his team, they're like wrapping a game up and he's like, hey, come out and have beers with us. And he's like, nah, I got to head home. And the guy on his team goes, man, a man should. It, he says something like it's not healthy for a man to love his wife as much as you do. Yeah, <laughs> which is so fucked. Yeah. But what I like about that is that I think it's supposed to be a little bit like. <laughs> to use a baseball term, a little bit like he's he's batting above average. Like he's right. he's a little out of his league that he has this beautiful wife who really clearly does love him. And I think that we're also supposed to get the sense that she understands that she's a babe and he's just like a hometown guy who's got a good baseball talent. Right. And so I think the accents, whether purposeful or not, almost work for that because he's just a down-home guy who's doing his darndest. Right. And she's this high-class individual who really loves this guy who might be below her standing, as it were, yeah, and is just trying to like bring it in. Yeah. I, I love their relationship, which makes it all the more heartbreaking when it goes sour due to these supernatural circumstances I agree. because like they really care like the, when she reveals that you know she's pregnant and she gets him a gift and it's the crib and she's like oh yeah your gift is you get to put it together and he gives her like the, oh you and like it's really sweet and it's and cute. i don't know we should all be so lucky to have a relationship yeah. like that well, it's it's kind of beautiful there is the very like tober hoop to i did <laughs> to i almost you did it i did it <laughs> Dude, I can't. Now that I've started doing that, I can't stop. I cannot stop. Yeah, Toblerone Hoopy. Yeah. Uh, it's a very Toby Hooper sense of humor kind of thing, I think, that, like, yeah. they're also very Christian. Like, there's this whole subplot, kind of, about how they're they're both, like, people of great faith. Uh, and, like, you know, that comes into play in a couple of, like, visual jokes later in it. And obviously, like, eventually he straight up thinks he's, like, the devil. He, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that that does play into the quote-unquote story. But that feels a little more to me just, like, 
Toby Hooper has this like really weird kind of sick sense of humor, I think, which I really appreciate in his work. Oh, and absolutely. Is very apparent here, in my opinion. And I, I think feel... that's my defense when people say that he didn't direct Poltergeist. And like, right. yes, of course, Spielberg's fingerprints are all over it. But I mean, Poltergeist, if you know what you're talking about, I think is very clearly a Toby Hooper movie. And a yeah. lot of it comes through in exactly what you're saying about that sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. Because like it like it doesn't really matter that they're Christian. That's like not that important to this story. But it is. So every time it gets brought up, it's like kind of funny. I think that like they are this like very cute couple but they like are cute in the way that you were kind of describing where they're very down home. They're very yeah. like, it, it. they almost seem like faith doesn't actually mean anything other than it being this like extreme tradition that they're adhering to. Yeah, or it's something. what you do. Yeah. They're, exactly. they're doing it right. Yeah. They're playing it safe and yes. they're content to do it. Yeah. And it's why, why fix something that's not broken? Yes, if we yes. need to have a priest come in and read some, some scripture while you go into surgery, cause it's just, that's what you do. Yeah. Like it has that that sort yeah. of vibe to it. Yeah. And then to me the the like part of the Toby Hooper like sense of humor about it is that like once you're faced with this eyeball implant has turned you into the psychotic killer that once had that eyeball in his own head, once you like get there and make that leap, it becomes like yeah, these this tradition that you adhere to is meaningless. Like, yeah. what does it offer you? It offers you nothing in the face of this. Like you, And you I know. think that ties into the idea, too, of... Because, like, another thing that I think ties into this theme in Poltergeist is nobody yeah. asked the question of, why was this land so cheap? Yeah, yeah. As it turns out, it's because you moved the headstones, right. but you didn't move the bodies, goddammit! Right. Right. And so, same thing here is a doctor says, hey, I've got a procedure that can do it. And then nobody asks questions. Yep. It's not until after the fact that they go, wait, who's the donor? Yep. What am I getting here? All it is is, oh, I can play baseball again if I just yep. shut up and, and do what you tell me? Yep. I guess I'll just shut up and do what you tell me. Yep. And so I think that there's that weird little, you know, uh, Toby Hooper seems to be attracted to the idea of the the uh, detrimental effects of ignoring your gut, going with the flow, and not asking questions. Yeah, yeah. And that's very much on display here. Yeah, but I yeah. think in that faith thing, a lot totally. of faith, you know, the whole the whole definition of faith is yeah. don't ask why, just go for it. Right. I promise. What yeah. do you promise? Shh, I promise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like that's like, sort of what's happening here. It actually offers them nothing in the face of an actual devil, right? Yeah. Like once once the devil shows up, the Bible gives them nothing. There's there's nothing yeah. it offers them to help them in this situation, you know, which I think is like just a very funny kind of Toby Hooper detail that, that is in this uh, story. I think that's probably the thematic thing about this is it is the thematic hook of this last one is essentially that, which is like, you know, to just stop and ask the question first. Yeah. Yeah. You know, put blind faith on, uh, you know, and yes, you do want to play baseball again, but the question is at what cost. Right. And then we yeah. find out that it's at, the ultimate Dude, cost. How about that fucking scene when he's like putting the uh, crib together and then starts having flashbacks to the memory of the killer's own childhood who's oh, being yeah. by his mother? That's crazy. That great that's shot like, of him surrounded and like, ah! yeah. Oh, man. And like, that's some fucking like high level weird storytelling, too. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's fucking, that's nuts. 
that the garbage disposal that's probably my favorite yeah. moment is the garbage disposal sequence yes um and i do also like in the garden when he's first gardening and twiggy comes out to ask him what he's doing he has that first like snap at her uh that that's a yeah. really really upsetting moment like th- this I, one's probably the most upsetting i'd say yeah this this is actual terror right i was actually thinking, yeah this this another thought i had while watching this was like the difference between John Carpenter and Toby Hooper, which is so clear, especially when you watch the first segment versus the third segment, is John Carpenter really makes what I would call like classic horror movies. And Toby Hooper makes terror movies. Oh, yeah. You put Halloween next to Texas Chainsaw. They're both equally scary, but they have very different goals and very different methods of getting there. Toby Hooper is trying to terrorize you, where I think John Carpenter is trying to scare you. Right. Yeah. And there is like a difference. And I feel like this movie in some weird way, like makes that so abundantly clear because you get to watch those two things happen in like short bursts right next to each other, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I imagine that both of them probably, you know, put their own spins on the script. Neither of them have writing credits. Right. Yeah. But I could see either of them directing either one of these. Yeah. uh, Or any, actually all three of them. But I feel like if, you know, if Toby Hooper were to have directed the uh, the hair one, yeah, it probably would have been more body horror forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, if he directed the slasher one, it probably would have been more about the relentless onslaught of yes. this killer than it is about the set piece. Yep. Um, if John Carpenter had done the eye one, I think it probably would have been a little bit more about uh, the story of the killer that that donated the eye and how that places itself onto the dual narrative of yeah. I almost said Luke of Mark <laughs> Hamill and, and his wife, you know, and and so like all the pieces would have been the same. All the scripts would have been would have been the same, yeah. but just what they choose to focus on with their camera would have changed that yeah. uh, really fascinating stuff. I, I would love to know if there's like a stack of scripts out there. That right. were supposed to be episodes of this show. Yeah. If there's, you know, three or four that just weren't made, I'd love to see them and think about them in terms of those guys directing them. I, I genuinely, I mean, I'm sure there are actual answers to this that uh, have to do with business, but like, I really don't know why Showtime or somebody wouldn't take the, if I would assume like, you know, Showtime still owns it, take the body bags concept and try and make a, I mean, compete with shutter like why why wouldn't somebody be trying to like use this to leverage their own service oh yeah it's a really good conceit the idea of just the body bags in the morgue tell their own stories is a good conceit for a horror anthology show i mean i i i've only seen the first season of creep show i have yeah. not started the second one yet and i liked it well enough i, I don't Same. think i was blown away by it i, I was a little, i was slightly disappointed with some aspects of it i'm eager to see what they do with season two because now I feel, you know, the wheels are going, yep, yep. but like if they announced it was a body bag show, yeah. I would be more excited about that than a creep show show. Yeah. Creep show yeah. show. <laughs> um, but uh, at the same time, I think the reason why it didn't take at the time that it took is because I believe Tales from the Crypt was at the tail end of its its existence by 93. Yeah, th- this whole idea of the big anthology show, I mean, I guess it probably existed in some form in the 90s, but not in any capacity. Like, most of that stuff that I know about is from, like, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, yeah. you know? 
Tales from the script from the script. Wow. Tales, yeah. <laughs> Tales from the Crypt, yeah. I believe, started in 88 or 89. Yeah. And I think it ran till 95, 96. Right. And its final season was shot entirely in England because it was cheaper that way. But like Daniel Craig shows up in it. Yeah, um, yeah. Things like that happen. Uh, and it was just because interest was running out. Why was yep. interest running out? Well, because we did it for so long. X-Files was taking off and X-Files had a dalliance with being a monster of the week, which is sort of anthology, but the idea of serialized television started to really come into favor. So an anthology, a new anthology to drop in 1993, if I'm a Showtime exec, I would think, you know, we have till 95. Is this an investment we want to make? And so I think that that's probably has a lot to do with it is that they kind of caught it at the end of a wave. Yeah. But I think you're right. Right now, if HBO Max or whatever was just like, yeah. oh, yeah, Body Bag's the show, um, John Carpenter's going to do it. And he's going to connect with some of the young upstart of, yeah. you know, filmmakers now. Oh, and also, you know, maybe we'll have uh, not Toby Hooper, RIP. Um, but, you know, like maybe we'll get some some beloved names on there, too. <laughs> Mick Garris is the first thing that popped in. Although this is something I think he would be really suited to. Yeah. Um, well, or, you know, I, I would totally buy that. And by the way, I mean, you could even get away with like, honestly, like Eli Roth would probably be a good host for something like this. Right. Like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe Carpenter doesn't want to do it or whatever. But like, you know, there are other guys in this world at, Eli Roth is actually who comes to mind that are uh, very knowledgeable about this stuff and are fun personalities. Mm. So you put a little dead guy makeup on them and make them the the body that crawls out of the bag. Uh, Eli Roth would show. fucking go nuts for right? that job. Like he would be good, and he would yeah. probably be good at it. Like he'd be really good at it. I'd love to see him do an episode. I'd love to see Fede Alvarez do an episode. Yes, that's um, the other thing. You could just have, you could literally have the new crop of directors literally be their own little anthology of the hosts, oh, yeah. right? Like they just, a different body crawls out of a different bag every week to tell us a couple of stories. Oh, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Joe Lynch could drop one. Yeah. Um, oh man, okay. I would kill to have you know, a Karen Kusama do one. Wingard and Barrett could team up to literally crawl out oh, of yeah. a pair of bags and do a couple episodes together. You know, I will say that we will be talking about ABCs of death, uh, uh-huh, shortly. Uh-huh. All right. Um, fair. But like that's that's the thing about ABCs of Death is that it has a great hook, but the problem is twenty six films is quite yes, a lot. Yes, yeah, that's a lot of room for things to uh, be like, yeah, not all of this worked for me, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, dude, I love this movie. I'm really glad we watched this because it was a great excuse to just watch this movie again. I think it's super fun. Oh, also the fucking needle drop into into credits at the end of this. The the very dad rock Carpenter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so good. Yeah, this was, uh, I picked this up during the Shout Factory sale, and it was quite literally one of those, like, I got to get this thing over the shipping threshold. Yep. You know, where it's like, I'm sitting at like $45, and it's like, well, I could spend five on shipping, or I could spend 10 and get another movie, and it is what it is. And Body Bags made the cut, and honestly, out of that whole stack that I got, it's probably the one I'll rewatch the most. Yeah, super, super just fun, watchable movie and a uh, good party movie. You know what I mean? Great party movie one for, for Halloween parties, for sure. That's kind of informed, like in a world where I can see any movie I want without owning it. And I've just gotten back into physical media. My yeah. criteria for buying physical media is stuff that I want to watch in crazy high definition. 
Yeah. Stuff that might not be available otherwise. Yeah. And stuff that I can put on when we're allowed to have parties again yes, in the background. Exactly. Yep. And that third one is actually probably the most commanding piece of criteria. I think about that all the time. Yeah. It's just like, it's the kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's what you want. Um, right now, you know, it's, as I talked about on the show before, we're in the, in the process of trying to put together a locally produced anthology and the, the cool thing about an anthology format, which I think speaks to what we were just saying about there being like a body bag show, is that it presents endless opportunities to showcase. Yes. It's it's such a great thing. And like in a world where we're constantly having a conversation about how important it is for the haves to elevate the voices of the have nots, especially in the world of creativity, where a film, you know, a film group can look a certain way. An anthology is such an easy opportunity to say, we can diversify this. We yeah. can turn this into something that looks like a lot of different things and still have it be one movie with creative freedom looking a hundred different ways. And I see no reason why we, you know, why there shouldn't, I mean, I, there kind of has been an influx of, of anthology movies, Southbound, um, yeah. uh, XX, Tales yep. of Halloween, uh, Nightmare Holiday. Cinema, all this stuff. Yeah, and it's it's all of this like, there's just so much room in the world of anthology to highlight filmmakers and give filmmakers that don't have any money a chance to play around with a little cash. I, I, I love anthology films and I really just think that there should be more of them. It, it, you know, it's, and, and the thing that we talked about being the downfall at the beginning is that a bad entry can sink a movie is also a feature in that anytime you watch an anthology movie, if there's a segment you don't like, you just clench your cheeks for 10 minutes and the next one will be better. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's just such a beautiful, versatile format that offers everything that we want in the business of film. And I I don't know. I just, I, it seems like such an easy window into getting more and more directors a chance to make a movie. And so I I just, I hope there's more. And yeah, I, I would, I would kill for a body bag series because you could do just that. I'm I'm with you. And actually, this is a great transition into our list as we're going to talk about uh, anthology movies, mostly because what you just reminded me of, uh, I kind of specifically chose some of the some of the segments I chose. Part of why I chose them is because these directors have gone on to do interesting things. Nice. They they, you know, made some, you know, small shorts for these anthologies and, and have since done kind of cool stuff. So I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah, I would say that most of mine are, and then a couple of them are favorites. Um, oh, yeah, a couple of these are outliers on mine, but but some one, of them have that quality. Two, three. Yeah, I put down six. I know we only typically do five, but I put down six because, like I said, I really why just don't love you, why don't you anthology. Start then? All right, well, then we'll do this one just because um, there's not much to say about it. Um, but it's it's one of my more favorite anthology segments because it haunts me. In Twilight Zone, the movie, um, It's a Good Life, the Joe Dante segment, mm. um, the one where the lady meets a little boy and he invites her over for dinner, and then we find out he's a super-powered being that has a group of people that he is imprisoning with his magic powers, and she yeah. is the first, uh, the, the latest in the collection of uh, people that he has to play with him. Yeah. And it's her kindness that got her in trouble. Right. So it is just cruel. The She did nothing wrong to end up where she is. She just yeah. decided to help out a little boy. And he's too young 
to understand that he's abusing his power. Right. And there's that great image of the sister whose mouth he took from her. Right, um, right. There's all this horrifying stuff, and it's just, it's, it's a, I love the Twilight Zone, and yeah. I think the Twilight Zone movie is pretty solid, uh, you know, for, for what it's worth, despite some of the th- horrible things attached to it. Yeah. But that segment is the one that I think sticks with me the most, and uh, just really uses the anthology format uh, uh, quite well to tell a short story that is just deeply effective. And it's Joe Dante, so there's like cartoon elements, there's, right. you know, there's body horror, there's goofy comedy. Uh, it's just got a killer cast across the board. It's yeah, I I love that. That rocks. Uh, you know, I sat here thinking, have I seen that? And then as soon as you described it, I was like, oh yeah, I've fucking seen that shit. That's like you remember yeah. the girl with no mouth. Oh yeah, that shit is so horrifying. Uh, so the first one I'll do is from the movie Holidays. Um, I chose the oh, segment right uh, Father's Day, um, which is directed by Anthony Scott Burns, who directed the upcoming come true which i'm very excited about do you know what i'm talking about dan oh i've seen come true yeah i've heard really good things about this movie i'm very excited about it i had a thing with come true where i watched that movie and i thought it was awesome and then the ending i thought shit the bed harder than a movie has ever shit a bed interesting and i was like very upset by the ending and then in the days since watching it as i thought about it more and more and i thought about what the ending means it's my favorite part about the movie is this ending. Okay. And so that's one where, and I even said in my review, I was like, man, I really hated this ending, but the more I think about it, like I'm slowly starting to come around on it. So I'd like to go on record since I did publish a review saying that I was unsure that looking back, I've actually grown to really, really appreciate the ending. Come true is a good movie. Uh, I'm very excited to see it because I really like I, I think you've seen Holidays, right? I think we've talked about. Yes, this I saw Holidays, which I, I remember not loving it. But I, I also don't I don't remember. Uh, this is. Yes, Come one, True is the one that I'm thinking of. Come True is cool. This is like one of the more hit or miss anthology movies I've seen, I would say. Like, I remember the Easter Bunny segment. Yep, really pretty, pretty cool because that's got like a freaky creature, like just yeah. the Easter Bunny creature. So Father's Day is the segment where a girl gets like a tape from like her dead father and is like kind of wandering around a boardwalk town in like the winter listening to him kind of give her directions to like go to this place. And it does have, I would say maybe a kind of disappointing ending. It just kind of like, it goes to a, I don't know. It goes to a place where like a thing happens. It's not really clear what that is or what it means. And then it just kind of ends. Mm. Uh, it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing about this whole uh, movie holidays. The shorts are so short. They don't really have the time to like develop anything. And there know? was like four or five of them in there, right? There's a lot of them actually. There's like maybe eight of them or something. Okay. Uh, yeah, one, Cause two, I remember three, feeling four, mixed four, on five, it, but six, like appreciating seven, the concept. Yeah. I think there was like eight of them. So yeah, they're all like probably like, 10 minutes long you know what i mean like they're mm. all like pretty brief uh, but i think about this one all the time there's something about the mood and the atmosphere of this uh short that i really really like like i think about it all the time something about the old technology that it is a cassette tape something about the idea of getting to connect with a dead parent through that old technology uh, it's like an idea that's kind of in Videodrome too. That like we yeah. are we're recording ourselves all the time. So like, even when we die, there will still be something of us like left over. You know, mm. uh, 
I don't know. There's something very compelling about this one to me. Uh, and I just, I've always really liked this one. I think about this one all the time, even though I don't know what it is about it other than just the atmosphere of it that I, I like so much. I do uh, remember it. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's like the big strength of come true is it has great atmosphere. Yeah. And I, the ending too, like makes me want to watch it again because there's probably little things in it that, that dance with what happens in the end. Yeah. Um, but I, and like I said, now the ending is probably my favorite thing about it because at yeah, least yeah. how I've defined it, I, I think what it means and what it represents is something very cool. Yeah. But I did make it very clear to say, like, despite an ending that didn't work for me in the moment, like that doesn't mean it's a bad movie because yeah, yeah. it's a really cool fucking movie with a I'm very killer soundtrack. Like I kill, you should actually go on Spotify and just listen to the soundtrack. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I actually kind of want to watch. Uh, holidays again, just because I I do remember that one. I remember the Easter Bunny one. The New Year's um, Eve one is good too. Uh, that one has uh, Lorenza Izzo in it, one of the women from uh, 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 what from the Knock hell? Knock. Like, right? We like so much, yeah, Knock Knock. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, Eli Roth's ex-wife. Oh, whoa! I didn't know that. Yeah, they were married for a short while. Uh, She's in Green Inferno as well. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, and that one is directed by Adam Egypt Mortimer. Oh, uh, right on. Okay. Who's done some interesting stuff too? Yeah. Um, I'd like to watch that again because that's also one of those movies that I remember watching on a day where I was really tired. And I tend to be harsher on movies when I'm tired. Yeah. That's what happened with Mud when we did Mud, where I was like, I didn't like that movie at all. And then I watched it again. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I would I would be very open to giving that one another chance. Yeah, it's it's not all great, but the stuff that's in it that I like, I think is like pretty good. Pretty cool. Nice. Uh, and I yeah, Father's Day is cool. I like that one. Give me, give me another one of yours. All right, so the next one I kind of cheated because I squeezed two in, but I think you probably can guess where it's going because they are of a piece. But Trilogy of Terror 1 and Trilogy of Terror okay. 2 have two yeah, segments, yeah. Amelia and He Who Kills, which follow the exploits of the Zuni fetish doll. Okay. Um, and uh, did you watch Trilogy of Terror yet? Not yet, no. Okay, you really got it. It's great. Yeah. Um, both of them hinge upon the idea of a central actress playing the main role in each part. Okay. The first is Karen, Karen Black. The second is Lisette Anthony. Okay. And so what's cool about this is Amelia tells, you know, the story of the Zuni fetish doll. And then uh, the third segment of Trilogy of Terror 2 just continues that story where it picks up. You know, okay. right where it left off. It picks up where it left off and follows another woman's experience with it. And uh, I don't know, it's just a great, like, little guy horror movie, you know, yeah. little guys. And, like, the little Zuni fetish doll is so good. It's got this annoying little voice. It's really horrifying. Um, one of the issues with little guy movies is that they have to clear the hurdle of, couldn't you just kick that fucking thing? It's a uh-huh. little guy. And this thing is so spastic and all over the place that, no, you couldn't. Uh, uh-huh. You could not engage. Like, yeah, you might be able to overpower it, but you're going to get stabbed a hundred times while you do because it's uh-huh. just this unstoppable little force. Is it like, is it claymated or like, what's the, how do they, do you know how puppets. they brought it to life? Puppets. It's okay. a mix of puppets. Actually, most of it is just from its point of view, you know, following, oh, sure. you know, like we follow the camera. Is it bouncing around like the way they do Chucky doll point of yep. view when it's rushing at stuff? Because both of these movies are really. Uh, it's it's like performance forward. It's about that yeah, central yeah. performance from the leading lady. And so the doll is kind of secondary, but the doll itself is cool. The doll itself is scary. And the lore behind the doll is very minimal, but effective. 
you know, it's very simple. It has a gold bracelet around its waist, and as long as that's on it, it's just a doll. But if that falls off, then it frees the spirit to do what it wants. And uh, it's just a great little guy slasher. And both of them rock, and since they are kind of one thing, and they're both by Dan Curtis, the director of uh, 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 Burnt Offerings and, and The Night Strangler and, and such yeah. things, uh, I, I consider them a single piece, despite being 15 years apart from one another. That's cool. I Man, they, Both of those movies rock. You gotta watch the first one, and when we're all allowed to hang out, I'll bring the second one over so you can have it. It's, uh, that sounds great. This shit is nuts. I'm into it. Uh, okay, my next one is from VHS. Uh, we've talked about this one before, I think. I love 1031-98, the segment that's directed by Radio Silence. The... That's the last one with the Halloween party? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's funny. I mean, it's creepy. It's, it's funny. It's creepy. And I think about the final like two minutes of that segment all the time oh yeah the hands coming out of places Dude, i've seen so many haunted house movies and i like haunted house movies but like that is maybe the one time that a house has actually felt like a a threatening presence in and of itself to me oh like, yeah in something like i love those final minutes of that sequence i think they fucking just are killer uh i i think about it all the time and they you know they went on to do ready or not uh, which I think is a pretty cool movie. Like I, I like that movie for the most part. And they're doing the next Scream. Uh, yes, and they did a Southbound as well, which was a right, which I've not role. seen yeah. actually. And I'm I that's would another like to... one that I remember mixed bag, but like yeah. some real cool ideas in it. Um, yeah, I, I like them. Uh, Radio I... Silence kicks ass. I'm so excited that they're doing Scream. They're the right right group for the job. I like the VHS movies. I've only seen uh, VHS and VHS two. Uh, and I, I like them. I think I feel like I kind of like all the segments and all of them. But this is like the one segment in like among all of those two movies that like really lingers in my memory a lot. When I saw VHS and I've told this story on the show before, it was like a movie I had heard of, you know, just like adjacent to reading about stuff online. But it was playing at the Ritz uh, like one night only. Yeah. And it was one of those things where I was living alone. I was bored. I was just kind of lonely. Didn't know what to do. And I was like, I don't know. This is probably some stupid cheapo horror. Should I go see yeah. it? And I read Drew McQueenie's review of it. Yeah. And he said something about by the by the time the last segment reached around, he said, I felt like I was in a truck with its brakes cut just hurtling down a mountain. And I was like, holy shit, that sounds insane. <laughs> like, can a movie really get you there? And I think that it does. And this yeah. segment is where that happens. Yeah. Um, also, on the DVD, there's a great alternate take of the ending where they where they don't get hit by a train and they get out of the car and survive. Okay. That exists only because them leaving the car and then having like a bro moment of like, bro, it's fucking crazy. Like, it, it's clearly was never intended to be in the movie. It's just like yeah. a fun thing that they do is laugh out loud hilarious. <laughs> and it really speaks to the energy of you know, the Radio Silence Film Collective. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's one of my favorites. I did not include it in my list because there is another VHS entry in my list. I figured there might be. VHS 3, VHS Viral, Viral? Yeah. is much maligned, and I disagree with it. Um, it it has a Nacho Vigalondo segment. Love it. Rocks. Yep. Um, it has a Benson and Moorhead segment, which cool. is pretty cool. 
But it also has like this documentary segment where it's a documentary about a magician who finds a cloak that actually gives him real magical powers. That and then he awesome. goes mad with and like th- there's one gag in it, like like one of the tricks he pulls for an audience because he has real magic is it's a show in New York, but when the audience leaves at the end of the show, they're in LA. Okay. And like they show like one of the dudes, he's like like one of the audience members, the documentary cues interviewing him. He was like, Yeah, man, we saw the show and like we started and I was in New York and now it's LA, which is like cool, but also like what the fuck? <laughs> like, the way he says it is so good. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I think it expands upon the found footage aspect a little bit and brings it into like, this is a documentary about a magician that loses his mind. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I liked it. I, the wraparound's weak, but, you know, it's, you take what the rules of an anthology apply. You know, it's not always yeah. going to be the best, but VHS viral is much better than people give it credit for. And that's another I one I have. It. So we can, we can, uh, all right. All right. I do some exchange. Yeah. I would like to rewatch both VHS movies actually. Cause I, it's been a long time since I've seen them. I think I definitely plan to, cause they were another, uh, get it over the free shipping hump, uh, $5 Blu-rays that I bought. Nice. I mean, I had the first one on DVD, so I didn't re up on that. Cause I don't care yeah. if it's DVD. It actually yeah. might even help. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. What's next? All right, so the next one I will do is L is for Libido from okay. ABCs of Death. This is Timo Tahanto's segment. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, Timo Tahanto. And, uh, oh, man, it's fucked. It's, like, fucked up. L is for Libido takes place in a strange game show where a group of men wake up, and they're all strapped to chairs. The chairs have no seat in the bottom. We'll get to that later. <laughs> the rules of the show are this. A horrifying murderous sequence is presented in front of them, and they all have to masturbate. And whoever comes last gets a spear shoved through the bottom of the chair, through their asshole, and out their mouth, killing them. What? And round after round, they have to keep jacking off and coming to horrible images at the threat of their own death with increasingly depleted volumes of cum to work with. It is horrifying. (laughs) That is insane. It is insane. It's gr- it's so gruesome, but it's like it's gruesome to the point where like very quickly it becomes cartoonish. Yeah, yeah. Without ever not being grotesque. Yeah. Um, it's a very strange thing, but like that concept is is just hardcore. Like That's it is hardcore. Insane. And in the middle of ABCs of Death, where like a lot of the segments are great, a lot of the segments are not so great, and this one comes and you're just like. It comes, and you're just like, yeah. oh, 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 ah! It's really goopy and gross. It's sweaty. It's gnarly. But Timo Tahanto, uh, he did that great segment with Gareth Evans in um, VHS Two. Yep. yep. Um, Timo Tahanto does, you know, splatter karate, and the night yeah, comes the for night us. Yeah, the night comes for us. Yeah. Um, so he is, uh, which by so, the way, Joe Taslim is the new Sub Zero. I know. Thumbs up. And um, he doesn't quite smolder. He chills. <laughs> you're but, right. Uh, the uh yeah it's it's it was definitely a segment that when it ended i was like oh look at that i'm definitely not okay at this moment (laughs) and as you know i'm not okay at this moment cinema is something that uh against my better judgment i frequently hunt down and consume rapidly um and this is just one that has always stuck with me like how do you come up with that he started with the letter l and yeah. then ended on a jack-off competition where you have to jack off to snuff 
repeatedly uh, and quickly. It's it's the most intense game of ookie cookie ever, essentially, and all at the threat of having the most gruesome and horrifying death of asshole stabbing. It is. It's so just, bad. it's beyond bananas, and I fucking just have a deep, deep fondness for it. It rocks. Yeah, only scene Q is for Quack. Naturally, uh, yeah. Segment. Yeah, I think that's the only one I've seen. They're, both ABCs of Death are worth watching. I think the second one has more, uh, it's more consistent. Okay. Uh, the first one has, like, and then there's also, like, an ABCs of Death 2.5. I don't know... I think that was they did a contest where like you like independent filmmakers could make the letter M. So it's just a collection of all the M's. Okay. Um, and actually, one of them is Brett Glassberg, who did uh, Derelicts that we know from Puff. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. Cool. But um, yeah, so I, I have not seen 2.5, but one and two. I mean, most of the segments in ABCs of Death range from quite literally 30 seconds to three minutes. So yeah. it moves and it yeah. goes. Um, but yeah, I, I, as as the anthology idea goes, it's very cleverly done. And amidst a, a wealth of mixed bag, there's a lot of gold. And Timo Tejanto's L is for Libido is some cum-covered, blood-soaked <laughs> gold, baby. It is just very much my flavor. And if I never see it again, I'll, maybe I'll get one more. <laughs> I'll get yeah. one more time, and then I want to show somebody, and then I'm good. Oh, this is horrible. My note just deleted itself, but hold on. I found it. I can get it back. I hate when that happens. Uh, okay. Uh, my next one is, uh, I don't know, maybe one of the more obvious ones or whatever, but I just really like it a lot. The uh, principal segment from Trick or Treat. Uh, oh, Michael yeah. Doggerty's movie, uh, you know, who I like a lot. He, he made uh, the Godzilla movie that uh, I like so much, King of the Monsters, but uh, Krampus as well. Krampus. Uh, Principal fucking rocks. This is the segment that, uh, oh gosh, what's that actor's name now? Um, uh, Dil- Dylan uh, oh, Baker. Uh, yeah. Dylan Baker. Right? Dylan Baker, so, star of happiness. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, plays like the principal of a local school who is basically poisoning the children that come to his house. In particular, this chubby little kid that seems to annoy him in general. Uh, Very similar he, to his role in happiness. Yeah, he, he poisons the kid uh, uh, with some candy. Uh, and then there's just like a, a kind of slapstick sequence of him trying to bury the body as his own son is uh, calling out for his help with like some candy and jack-o'-lantern carving. Uh, And so it's like him trying to bury a body and hide it from his son, who only in the final seconds do we find out actually does not seem to have a problem with his dad's murderous ways as they turn the fat kid's head into a jack-o'-lantern. Oh, it's so good. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. Uh, I just think this, I really like Dylan Baker in this segment. He's like very funny. This segment has like a great sense of humor. I mean, this whole movie has a sense of humor, but and his his return to the movie later is yes. quite effective as well. I actually yeah. recently obtained a blue of that movie just from my local buy nothing group. Oh, nice. Yeah, and I will say this: I'm not the biggest fan of King of the Monsters, but Doherty was the right man for the job. Oh yeah, he's uh, and this this movie is just like fun. this is another pretty consistent uh, anthology movie, I think. Yeah, I, and and I like the way that this it uh, defies you know... the anthology con- concept a little bit. Yeah. expands upon it i'll say yeah, in yeah. a way that i that is that is very very uh cool yeah i actually i like the idea that this gets to be both an anthology and not you know mm-hmm. uh i think that's kind of clever 
you know, that it all takes place in the same town on the same night. So it's both an anthology and just a movie about this town on this Halloween night. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a wonderful reverence for the holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That's a great, that's like a truly great movie. It's a good Halloween movie, but it's like, it's a good horror movie, but it's the best Halloween movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Have you seen happiness? No, I haven't. I mean, it's Todd Salons, so it's immediately dark material, but, um, Dylan Baker plays a closet pedophile yeah. um, trying to go about his life. And like, it's just a bunch of fucked up characters. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays a pretty, but there's a scene in it that you're just going to have to take me on faith. Much like Dominic Toretto, take you on faith that there'd be a car to land on when he caught Letty out of the sky as she rocketed uh-huh. off of a tank. You have to take it on faith that this scene is a madcap piece of comedy, but Dylan Baker plays this character and his son is having a sleepover and there's a madcap sequence of him trying to sneak date rape drugs into the sandwiches he feeds to his son's friend, but he can't quite pull it off because there's many hurdles to doing such an awful, awful thing. And so it's this crazy, darkly comic scene of him essentially playing a very similar character as we see him in Trick or Treat, trying yeah. to pull off this feat of sleight of hand. And uh, if one could call such a thing hilarious, it is. It's just very dark. But always treated with the proper amount of weight considering the subject matter. But yeah. this is Todd Salon's uh, area, so I, I can't do it justice. You just have to see it. But highly recommend that movie. Also, don't recommend that movie at all. Yeah. But he's great in it. That's really the the point of this. Is Dylan Baker's great in it, yeah. but very uh very challenging material, for lack of a better term. Um, the next one that I would like to talk about is the Ledge, the second segment in another three part uh anthology called Cat's Eye. Oh, uh, Lewis Teague directed, Stephen King wrote. And the ledge is the story of a man who is having an affair with another man's wife. And that other man, uh, through a bunch of circumstances, gets into a situation where he points a gun at the man and puts him out on the ledge outside of his penthouse apartment. And he says, listen, if you can shimmy your way all the way around the building without falling off, I'll divorce my wife. You can have her, but don't fall. Don't fall. And so the whole story is a guy clinging to the edge of a building, (laughs) trying to shimmy his way all the way around uh, without falling off and dying. And there's a pigeon that pecks his foot, and there's the titular cat that gets involved. There's, you know, him trying to get back into the building and stuff like that. But what sticks with me about this is that is, first off, just a complete nightmare situation. That's (laughs) terrifying. And the way that it's set up in perfect Stephen King fashion is very character forward and therefore makes sense. It doesn't actually have a lot of, uh, doesn't have a lot of, uh, of, uh, what's the word? I can't think of it. Uh, but it, it just feels very organic to get into this situation. Whereas I think a lot of people would be tempted to just set it up real quick and go, it actually feels organic and it's intense. It's terrifying. It's darkly comic. And it actually really captures at no point do you feel like he's not 20 stories up on the ledge of a building. It really captures that. Um, the vibe of it just freaks me out. It's really good. I like, I like the idea of, I le- like, as you're describing it, I'm like, just as a pitch, this is such a good idea. It's you know so I mean? good. Yeah. And 
Uh, I know we're big fans of him as as an actor and not as a person, but the first segment of this movie, Quitters Inc., is uh is centered around James Woods. So uh, somehow I knew that's who you were gonna say. <laughs> of course, who else am I yeah, talking about? Yeah. Who is the best actor slash worst person more yeah. than James Woods? Yes. Yeah. He's the king of best actor worst person. Uh, I can't believe I knew I can't believe I knew that's who you were talking about just from the yeah. description. That's so Dude, funny. Quitter Zinc is wild. He's a guy who wants to quit smoking and he goes to a place that's just like, cool, we'll get you to quit smoking. Basically, if you don't quit, we're gonna kill your fucking wife. Like it's just that kind of thing, and so like that's and that's the plot. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, that this that's a good. really great anthology. Yeah. yeah, Lewis Teague, he did like Cujo. Um, right. I can't think of another one, but he he did a bunch. Usually Stephen King adaptations. Cat's Eye is real good, and the connective uh, tissue is just that there's a cat wandering through the city, and he wanders in and out of three different stories. I like that. But the yeah. ledge is. Fucking awesome. Really good stuff. Good. I, yeah. I like that. So, okay. I mean, my last two are kind of of a piece, but I'll do them one at a time. We can still trade back and forth. But I strayed like slightly from the horror anthology because I've been watching a lot of anime lately and there's some oh, really right good on. anime anthologies. When you texted but, me earlier asking if we could get out of horror, I was like, I wonder what he's going with because I couldn't really think much of an anthology. Well, frankly, it was more just that, like, as I was looking at it, I've not seen a ton of horror anthologies. I've seen enough that I could do this, but. I was just more thinking about like, what do I really have strong feelings about? And there were a couple of things, but I also kind of was able to keep this sort of in the horror realm still doing this. So there is an anthology called uh, robot carnival. Uh, you can watch on uh, Amazon prime and is worth watching. It's really fun. Actually, probably the, the kind of opening sequence would almost be a better pick. Cause it's literally like a Frankenstein riff uh, okay. called Franken's gears. Uh, you know, and it's like a mad scientist bringing like a sort of robot man to life. But my pick for this, just because I really fucking like it so much, and it's basically like a kaiju-ish movie, like a because short of story. Course. Yeah. Uh, oh, this called... looks cool. Yeah, dude, this is really good. But okay, wait for this. Ready? The title of this segment is "Strange Tales of," uh, and I may be pronouncing some of these words wrong. Strange Tales of Meiji Machine Culture, Westerners Invasion, a.k.a. A Tale of Two Robots, Chapter 3, Foreign Invasion. That's the whole thing. But it's literally like... Or How uh, I Learned to Stop Worrying and Robot Robot. It takes place in the 19th century and is about, like, basically like two giant robots, like, going to war with each other. But they're, like, made of wood and powered by, like, people riding Ooh. little bicycles inside of them to, like, make the... That's that Steam Boy shit. Up. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, it, you know, it's literally, like, about, like, a sort of American robot that comes to try and take over Japan. And Japan has, like, their own big robot that they decide to try and fend off the American robot with. Uh, and this and- is on Prime right now? I think so. Uh, that's where I watched it just like a month ago. So I, I would assume it's probably still floating around there. I'm just looking at the artwork on the IMDb page, and it's really gnarly. Oh, yeah. The, dude, the, the both movies that I'm going to recommend here, uh, both of the anthologies I recommend, are really good and really strong. Like, every segment in them is pretty cool. Uh, this I'm one adding this was- to my list. This one was my favorite segment from this one. I'm sure you can understand why it's very much of like, course. you know, it's a tokusatsu story, basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I love the idea of it being like, 
literally like you know uh people having to do basically like Wee herman rube goldberg machine type stuff to operate a giant robot you know what i mean oh, like that's I, sold so hard yeah I, I i love that so much and that that's like kind of what this segment is about for me and honestly i think that this suits the list i don't think it's uh, horror and sci-fi are are kind yeah. of of a piece especially in an anthology yeah. format and, and, oh and man robot anthology. i've never even heard of that that's yeah, so cool dude, i hadn't either and it's real good it's really worth watching really cool robot carnival uh and, robot yeah, and carnival. This, this segment in particular about the big robots fighting that's very cool let's say yeah. the title again oh god i just exited out of the wikipedia and i'm never going to be able to t- tell enough. you that full title again robot katsu for America Party right, times yeah. ten with one million robot fights. Yeah. Oh, it's like a tale of two robots. I a think tale it's of like two robots. American subtitle of it. Yeah. Big party fun time. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Um, this one you probably knew was going to come up because we've talked about it before. Um, this is a segment. Uh, now this is a movie. Not just the segment. The entire movie is directed by Michael Gornick. Uh, it's Creepshow 2. Um, the first one is up. Romero and written by King. This one is not written by King, but it's all based on King's stories. Um, Romero produced and Gornick directed the segment called The Raft. Yeah, I knew this would come up. This I know this is like your like go-to horror segment. from. It's from good, thing. man. Yeah. It's, it's just... I don't know. I just It scares the hell out of me. You're also not um, the only person I've heard talk about this segment. That like the, it seems like this segment has its own reputation even outside of Creepshow. That oh, it's just yeah. like that good. Yeah. It's haunting. And it's of that thing like I watched this for the first time when I was a teenager, so I was past the point where it should like really stick with me. But this is the kind of thing like like when I saw Tremors as a kid, it really upset me. And I love that movie. Um I have a, a an unending fondness for that movie. Yeah. Um but when I was a kid, it like really horrified me. This horrifies on that level. Um, I don't like water creatures. That freaks me out. Uh, yeah. The idea of all of my hopes and dreams leading to just a single moment of nutrition for an otherworldly being freaks me out. <laughs> Getting eaten by an animal or a creature or dissolved by a sentient oil slick on a lake is something that really, really upsets me. And that's what this is. It's just a bunch of campers go out on like the wooden raft that's at like a campground lake. They're all having a good time, and there's this oil slick that just looks like a normal piece of filthy lake shit. And also, lakes are gross. Yes. Because it's it's essentially just sitting water. There's no flow. There's no salt. It's just a giant, dirty puddle with bacteria. I hate lakes. <laughs> um, I've been in many lakes. I'll get in a lake. But like, and they noticed that in this slick there's like a duck kind of getting absorbed in it it's like oh poor thing stuck in some tar but it becomes clear very soon that this thing is bloodthirsty this thing is sentient and this thing is going to wait for them all on the raft and if anybody tries to make it to the shore it's going to capture them and dissolve them gruesomely bloodily and at one point, someone is being dissolved and they're screaming, it hurts, it oh, hurts, God. which is just horrifying. Yeah. Like that scene in, um, which Friday the 13th is it where he, the guy's screaming, he's killing me? I think it's the fourth <laughs> one. It's the best. He's killing me. Oh, God, he's killing me. That's more silly. 
But that's a really horrifying concept yes, to is. know that you're you're about to die and yep. that your state of being is only going to get worse and more painful. Like the best your life has ever been is back there because so, it's only going to get worse until it's over. Horrifying. Somehow seeing pain inflicted in a movie is never as horrifying as actually hearing a character exclaim that they're in pain. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. And so this really does that well. There's some great effects of skin dissolving and people melding and, you know, someone melts and then they're a skeleton, like that kind of thing. This is real effective. And it's a great great. little short story. It's the perfect piece of material for a uh, anthology segment. And it's just like when we sat down to do this list, this is the thing that popped in my head. If yeah. we talk about horror anthologies, this will always be the first thing that popped in my head. But it's still not my number one. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, well, I, I have my... I guess this is my number one. I don't know. This is just the last yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, I, mine are about. only ranked haphazardly. Yeah. Uh, so this is from another uh, anime anthology that I think is also available on Prime right now called oh, Memories. Okay. I've uh, heard of Memories. Okay, Memories yes. is really good. I loved this movie. It's just three segments, like we talked about, the perfect number of segments. Um, they're all very, very good. The second one is the one I want to talk about because it is such an interesting, unique thing. It's called Stink Bomb. Uh, and it's about a guy that like works in a lab. He's like a lab tech. And they're like trying to develop some kind of like flu or vaccine or something and somebody just happens to put the wrong tube in the wrong place or something whatever he gets like exposed to a little vial of something without knowing it and passes out and the facility like it the thing kills everyone else in the facility he wakes up not knowing this has really happened to him, doesn't really understand why when he's woken up, the facility is in lockdown and somehow gets himself out of lockdown and starts making his way across the Japanese countryside, leaving this, basically he's got a stink bomb around him. He is a living stink bomb and the smell kills people. So he is walking around thinking he smells like he farted while everybody that comes in contact with his fart smell dies. and That's it, insane. The tone of it, though, is literally like a Mr. Magoo cartoon. You know how, you know how like, yeah. Mr. Magoo, like, is, like, a hapless moron that just bumbles into trouble? Yeah, that, like, but he never notices it. He doesn't really know that he's doing anything wrong, but everything he does causes bigger and bigger problems. Yeah, yeah. It's that, but on the largest scale I've ever seen it. By the end of this, it's like you're watching a Godzilla movie. He is literally devastating the entire country of Japan, totally not knowing it, and the entirety of the Japanese military is trying to put him down. And he has and no he clue. Has like, no idea. It's, that sounds incredible. It's really fun. It's very funny, but it's also like kind of scary because it like it really builds to like this apocalyptic event, you know. Uh, and this I, is I yeah, this is available it. on Amazon. Oh, I'm definitely yeah. gonna check this out. And, and the other two segments in this are also really fucking good. Uh, th- this one is great. I really, really like Memories. This is another one. Looking at the art here, it just looks fantastic. 
Yeah, yeah. Man, I love the way that anime looks in like the mid nineties. There's just something about that. Yeah, I agree. That's kind uh, yeah. of what I think of when I think anime in my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's also Ghost in the Shell. I think is nineties yes. as well. Like, yeah, yep. Is Akira in there? I think uh, Akira might be like late eighties. Yeah, late eighties. Yep. It's still of the of yep. of the same thing. There's yep. actually a crazy true life story about a lady who this is based was on toxic. Oh, this is based on that? on that, and like yes. nobody could figure out what it was, but people yes. were dying to be near. Really horrifying stuff. The poor lady. Just, I mean, I, I believe she passed as well. She is. Uh, she had really a, uh, It was like a type of like cervical cancer or something like that. Yeah, and there was some weird chemical interaction, and she gave off deadly fumes as a result. Yep. yep. Crazy. Yeah, they, they like chalked it up to being like a uh, uh, what do you call that? Like a mass hysteria at first. Yeah. And then it turned out to be, no, this is yeah, just she something was like, beyond our understanding. I think it was like she was like self-medicating with something that because of the illness she was trying to medicate, all of it interacted in a way that produced this like, yeah, this like toxic kind of, I don't know, stench. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Freaks me out. Oh, sold. I might watch one of those this weekend. That sounds really cool. Although I've been doing a thing where I've been watching movies after I've finished reading the books. And I finished both The Lost City of Z and The Count of Monte Cristo this week. So I've got to watch, watch both those, those movies. Baby. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. So my number, number one. one? Uh, this is actually one of the first times you and I ever hung out to watch a movie. Okay. We watched VHS. Yes, we did. And yes. I remember midway through the very first segment of VHS, you turned to me and you were like, this is fucking scary. Yeah. Um, the first one is David Bruckner's Amateur Night. And yes. that's the one where a bunch of dudes are getting drunk at a bar. And this one girl is very, very enthused about the guy. She's a little off, but she's cute, and she's very into this guy. So he brings her back to the hotel room where it's revealed that she is a horrifying succubus. Yep. And she kills everybody and flies him up to the sky and drops him to his death. It is absolutely terrifying. It's crazy intense. The effects are so, so, so good. And it's, like, really, really funny, too. It's just a a rip-roaring segment. It's the best way that I've ever seen an anthology film get kicked off. Uh, You just can't beat it. It's it's incredible. So, yeah, that's... I think about the effect of her a lot. Her face splits a little. Yes, the way that she looks when they sort of reveal her full, like, monstrosity form or whatever. That, oh, by yeah. the way, I'm fairly certain that's the actress that is also in the guest as the kind of like hot girl in town that works at the diner with her, right? Maybe. I, I think it's the same actress. I'm going to look this up really quick. It I think could be. It is. There was a full length version of this yeah. sort of thing called Siren that came out. It's not great. Okay. Um, I actually don't believe it's the same people who created it. It's quite literally just that actress. And I think that they got some sort of like deal where they were just allowed to sort of you know un- under the table associate it with that that's interesting because um, she does sort of play a similar creature but I think and this is going to sound so awful but I'll say it I think the thing that scares me the most about it is that when she's first revealing as a succubus I'm still in my head being like well you know she can still get it what are we doing you know and uh, but yeah it's uh, it's just like it's just a totally hardcore metal piece of found footage cinema. And when I sat down to watch VHS on that lonely night where I was just like, yeah, I'll give this movie that I've only half ever heard of. And it's probably stupid a chance (laughs) about 20 minutes into that movie. I was like, I have never had a decision validated this hard because this fucking rocks. (laughs) Like I knew at that point I was like, the rest of this movie could be shit and it does not matter. 
because this just totally knocked my socks off. It's just a killer piece of cinema. And David Bruckner is part of the Radio Silence Collective. Oh, and okay. uh, yeah, it's, uh, man, it's just, it's just killer. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, there's not much to it, really. It's mostly a piece of novelty cinema, but it just rips so hard and it completely delivers on being upsetting and scary and entertaining. And it's a, it's got a found footage concept that works. It's got, uh, it's just very well directed and those creature effects are just unbelievable. So yeah, Amateur Night is, is, you know, there, there's been plenty of, of anthologies where it takes a bit to get going. And I think why VHS sticks with me is that it gets going immediately. And this is how it does does so. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do. Th- I like that segment. I like I do think about that effect a lot. By the way, I don't think it's the same actress. I think I'm wrong okay. about that. They're, they are. I mean, it perhaps. would make sense if it was just because. Yeah, it's all that. You know, same. like they're they're all there. I mean, you know, Wingard is tied to VHS, is tied to yeah. Radio Silence, is tied to Ty West, is tied to Swanberg, is tied to Bruckner. Yeah, it's all yeah. in there. Um, but yeah, man, I, I just, the raft and amateur night are the two that when you say anthology film, they pop in my head. Yeah. Just a great piece of found footage. Yeah. <laughs> Told well, awesome creature. I forgot that that's right. That whole thing, all of the VHS stuff is like found footage technically, right? Like, yeah. that's like, yeah. That's I the whole point. That that's I can't wait. It's a new one. VHS yeah. 1994 coming out soon. Oh, I forgot. Or, I totally forgot that. Yeah. They yeah, made another that's in one. development yeah. now. Um, but that's, I, I can't tell you how many people I have just said, yo, let's just watch the first VHS segment. Uh-huh. And every single person was like, shit, man, that's intense. Because I remember when we first started oh, yeah. hanging out, uh, this was one of the first movies that we put on. And this was back kind of before you, you was, understood that you had always loved horror and didn't yeah, realize yeah. it yet. But I remember you being like, man, that's like, this is fucking scary. Yeah. It was like, yep. yep, this is how it's done. And, and really... Of all the segments that are on this list, that one, to me, I think clears the bar of being a movie movie harder than any I can think of. Yeah, yeah. And I would say the one that from VHS that you selected would absolutely do that, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, man, it's wild. I love uh-huh. it. I love a good monster movie. And it's just, it's done right. Let's wrap this, uh, let's wrap this here episode. Let's wrap it up. Uh, that was good, man. I, I just... Like I said, there's so many reasons why an anthology works, be it because it's an opportunity to showcase a wide array of filmmakers, or it's, you know, like one of the issues with Stephen King is it's either a short story spread too long or a big, dense book condensed too small. And like anthology serves his shorts well. Um, It's just a great way, like in and out, bing, bang, boom, scare the pants off the audience and move on to the next one. And if it sucks, whatever, you move on to the next one. It's it's really just a win. Even a bad anthology always ends up being worth watching because the function, the function, the form, uh, you know, uh, the form validates the function and it makes any dysfunction completely palatable. I love a good anthology and I love a good horror anthology. Nothing yeah. better. Yeah. Um... You can find our show everywhere on the internet at I Like Two Movie. That's the numeric two. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, email us, I Like Two Movie at gmail.com. Uh, let us know what you want us to cover, what you want us to watch, uh, filmmakers you want us to talk to, any of that stuff. Uh, and you can find us on moviejohn.com. That's the Philadelphia John, J A W N. 
Uh, we're on their podcast network now with a bunch of other shows like my other show, Killer Bees Podcast. It's Killer BS Podcast over on the internet. We just released our episode on Pam Greer, uh, which Pam I watched. Greer. Foxy Brown and Coffee oh, so Four, which are both great. And I also watched Bones. Have you ever seen Dude. Bones? Bones is wild. Bones, Bones is, is a such good an underseen little movie. mini classic. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool movie. Really liked Bones. Uh, I'd like to watch yeah. that again. Because yeah. I remember laughing because, like, the only thing they re- they really ever showed in the trailer was, like, him as a dog being like, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck is this? And then one day it was on, and I just found myself like, this is cool. It's pretty fun. It's a, it's I'd a take goofy... three more boneses if they offered them. Yep. It's goofy, but it's fun. I like that movie. It's and pretty Pam good. And Pam a lot of fun in it, too. She She's gets great. it. Yep. Yeah. Love, love Pam. Uh, had a great, great time doing Ooh, an episode. I gotta give that a listen. Yeah. Uh, nice. And uh, yeah, I'm everywhere on the internet at Phil Medelfia. It's with an F. Uh, find me on Letterboxd. I am at Dan Scully on all of the things on Letterboxd, all that fun stuff. Uh, check out moviejohn.com, of course, findy.com. I just dropped a Mortal Kombat review. Um, uh, <laughs> not a flawless victory, but a victory <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's excellent, but I'd say it's good enough. <laughs> and um, I've been waiting all week to say that. And um, check Is out my other show, Hot Property. Yeah, the toasty guy does not show up in the movie, okay. uh, unfortunately. Um, check out Hot Property. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, reach out to us. I'm going to discuss some exciting things with Garrett after we hang up. And uh, Excellent. and uh, you guys will be the beneficiaries of such things. So right. we'll do that. So yes, uh, definitely check out all that shit. And of course, moviejohn.com is going to be the hub for it all. My name is Gareth Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. We all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like to, to movie. Really?